Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Wonder Woman. What is this place? Who are you people? We are the bridge to a greater understanding. Right. What is your mission? Well, here's the thing. You are in more danger than you think. The boys in the trenches called her Dr. Poison. Millions would die. The war would never end. I'm going, Mother. If you choose to leave, you may never return. Who will I be if I stay? We'll come when you To the war. Well, technically the war is that way, but we got to go this way first. How can a woman fight in this? Who is this young woman? She's my... Um, and... Um, Diana, Princess of the... Prince, Diana Prince. believe that this war should stop. Help me stop it right now. What are you? You will soon find out. PG-13. Experience it in IMAX 3D June 2nd. I'm trying mm. to remember, have I have I had both of you two on at the same time before? Was it? Um... I think so, but I don't remember what we were both on for. Bob, yeah, you I weren't want... on the Jessica Jones show, were you? I, was I on the Jessica Jones uh, show? Laura was on the you Jessica were, Jones Laura. show. I Bob was. Wasn't. Bob was on the seven most important superheroes, but Laura wasn't. <laughs> I know I've done something with Bob at some point. (laughs) Well, either way, this is a powerhouse of a podcast. It's going to make a lot of people happy. So thank you so much, both of you, for coming on. (laughs) So this is School of Movies, and we are talking about Wonder Woman. We're back to the DC extended universe, and things are very different this time around. While Man of Steel was a largely mixed bag for us, and Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad were flaming dumpster fires, at least in our takes on them... If you liked Suicide Squad or Batman v Superman, that's fine. It's okay to like a movie. But this time around, the film is straight up, empirically speaking, great. We, (laughs) We are here tonight to talk about the how and the why that actually somehow happened... And our guests are Bob Chipman of Geek.com and other places. Hello again, Bob, and welcome back. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming back on. And welcome back as well to Laura Kate Dale of Let'sPlayVideoGames.com and, again, other places. Hello, Laura. Thank you for having me. It's been way too long. It has. Right, so let's go straight in there. Just boom, straight to the the meat of this thing. Um... Why is this film, Wonder Woman, significant? I mean, it's, it's, it seems like an obvious answer, but there's, there's quite a lot to this. So um, I'm going to throw this one out there. Anyone can, can go for it. 
I, I think the the thing that stood out to me as significant walking out of this film was that DC, up until this point with their, their movie universe, has been very one-track mind. They have been solely focused on, we need to get to the giant crossover movie because we need our version of the Avengers and mm. we need to get there in as few films as we can. Um, we are the grim, dark superhero people, so let's just make grim, dark superhero films until we get to our crossover, and that'll be fine. And that's, you know, there was there was a real level of transparency that that's what they were trying to do with films like Batman vs Superman, their Suicide Squad. They were just trying to jump to their ensemble movies. This felt like a DC movie that was happy to just be the movie it was. And to not force itself to be overly dark, to not force itself to be rushing towards, you know, uh, Justice League or whatever it is. It was just a a, a DC movie working towards its own goals. And that feels that shouldn't be as rare as it is or as surprising. (laughs) But it was oddly pleasant to see a film that was just like. Oh, we're going to we're going to use this film to further our internal narrative goals for this character, rather than just using them as a vehicle to wedge all the characters together for when we do Justice League. Mm. Yeah, it it did bring in as well a um, as you say, Laura. They've been pretty one track in terms of the uh, the theme of the movie being uh, a big tough gentleman who hits things really hard and then feels bad about it um, but has a very good reason to do it so then goes back and does it again Um, and I think diverging from that um, even slightly (laughs) was a good thing it was nice nice to see DC have a superhero movie where they allowed themselves to have multiple emotional tones throughout the film yes sometimes more than one in the same character which is quite impressive (laughs) Yeah, like, you know, it was because, you know, Batman vs. Superman is just going to punch things hard because we've got reasons and feelings. Oh, no, we both have mums called Martha. Uh, Suicide Squad was, we're evil, but we're also being evil to pop music and flashy neon lights. <laughs> and like, both of those films you can summarize in, like, one sentence that was, this was the visual and tonal themes. I would be much more hard-pressed to sum up Wonder Woman that way. Mm. And that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I can I can agree with that. I, I it is the most different thing that they've uh, that they've done so far, and it is it does feel like more of a complete movie. You know, there's like there's multiple tones. There's there are like arcs. There's a coherent three act structure that happens. It it doesn't feel like the entire movie is one protracted like, you know, hitting one tone for the whole movie, like, literally one chord, like, for, like, the entire film. (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. I can actually remember what happened in this film. I can break down multiple acts of, like, this happened, and then they went to this different setting and had this different dynamic, and I can plot out multiple things that happened during the film rather than it just being one big blur of, ah, here's what the film is. Yeah. Yeah. There's also, I think, the, the very obvious um, point of significance, which is this is the first mega budget female superhero, and mm. it's doing very well. 
and that has... We're recording this on a Saturday, so it's literally only yeah. been officially out for they a have, day or they so They have now. posted some figures. I checked Box Office Mojo this afternoon, and um, it's currently around about the 86 million mark yeah. foreign and domestic. That That is really reassuring that it's that high already, mm-hmm. considering um, I, I was amazed when I heard this statistic. Of all the movies ever made with a $100 million or more budget... This is the first one ever with a female director. And I am so, so glad that it is looking to make its money back very quickly and that it is being critically well received because last time, like even putting the budget aside, last time we got like big cinema, female fronted superhero films was about a decade ago mm. and they did not perform well financially or critically and we got they no more we we didn't get any for a decade to the point that like even with um with Marvel's cinematic boom and the fact they're making all the money they still haven't released a superhero film with a female hero as the solo mm. protagonist Indeed. because yeah. i think the sting of a decade ago with like yeah Elektra and Catwoman's etc is is still very much there, so I'm I'm very glad this is doing well. Yeah, I mean that said, I think in all honesty, Marvel have had Captain Marvel on the slate for a little while. Um, yes, there's a lot in the whole oh female superhero movies don't make money and blah blah blah. I'd like to think even if Wonder Woman hadn't um, turned out fantastic and be looking to make all the dollars um that marvel mm. would not pull captain marvel or, or push no. it back or anything like that i, d- um, I don't think i don't think that marvel would push it back but i could see dc deciding not to do not more to do of it these anymore. yeah yeah and it's in a way it's really unfair that it has this much weight hanging on it but we knew that was going to be the case yeah well it's it's someone made the really good point recently that like Batman, the, uh, Batman and Superman have been able to have multiple mediocre to mm. bad films mm. in a row and they yeah. still get sequels but there is no way Wonder Woman with either poor critical or commercial success would have ever had a sequel. I, I do think it's it's interesting that we've at a certain point the like the the firsts of this whole genre and period they, they start to like run together like this one it really does feel like a big deal because it's okay. It's Wonder Woman. It's the one female superhero everyone knows. Uh, it's you know it, it's she gets she had appeared previously in one of the movies, but this is the first time they've ever done one of these as a feature. If you're not counting that thing with I think Kathy Rigby, Kathy Crosby, was that the one uh, that was a bit like Happy Days? I forget. Oh no, hang on, hang on. No, I know the one that was. She's not even got the costume. Yeah, she's That's blonde. the one I remember that. Yeah, yeah, I think that was Kathy Lee Crosby in in that one. And, uh, you know, but like for a while, it's the thing is, there have been, uh, you know, female fronted action movies and doing quite well for several decades. In fact, from about the very end of the 90s on, you know, one of the ways like like the the archetypal stereotype of like a a B grade uh, Western produced action film was. A uh, you know a low budget genre movie with a lot of CGI and a female action lead who was there to either you know shoot stuff up or or be gawked at because you had like the you know like 
you leading on from Baywatch on and Xena on TV, jumped off into Charlie's Angels of the movies, and then we had a solid decade of Resident Evil, Underworld, Barbed Wire, uh, you know, Elektra and Catwoman. You know, it was a lot of uh, whether or not you want to call those superhero movies, other than Elektra and Catwoman, which of course are. You know, it's. Uh, the, 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 the degree to which these are our firsts or whatnot in, in industry speak is very interesting to parse out. I think I want to call it um, one of the first... Okay, female-led... Com- I'm, I'm, I'm riffing here off of just nothing here. I haven't prepared <laughs> this. Uh, and so I, I will need your help to re-sculpt this statement. But uh, that, that might be one of the remits of this podcast. First female-led superhero, comic book superhero movie made with the remit of let's make this one great because that was not the remit for Mm. Supergirl that was not the remit for Elektra that was not the remit for Catwoman these were mismanaged projects Mm. with Resident Evil it was let's make a kick-ass Resident Evil like Paul W.S. Anderson version of these games with Underworld it was like you know this guy's got this like Kevin what's his name got this underground comic and I want to make this werewolves versus vampires and hey we've got this like gun-toting chick and we'll make that the the aesthetic for this barbed wire obviously it's don't call me but in fact maybe the only other one that I can think of she's not even really a superhero but we saw for the first time ever last last year or maybe the year before Tank Girl mm, I was oh yeah of that yeah that was made very much with it maybe not like let's make this great but like made with a sensibility of I love this character Absolutely. I want to make this character mm. yeah, like beloved by the, the audience and it's twisted and weird and punky but it totally achieves what Tank Girl set out to do, and of course flop, because that's a very niche audience you can appeal to. Absolutely, and yeah. for all that people were very much, you know, Tank Girl is no good as a movie, it really made me want to see more Rachel Talele stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm. Mm. I think I think what stands out about um, Wonder Woman to me, compared to some of the, the recent DC films, is that because Superman and Batman... That they've they've been in the cultural consciousness in a recent fashion to enough of a degree that I think DC felt that to some degree they could just coast on those those brand names. Oh yeah. There was a certain degree of we can put out a thing where these two characters punch each other a bit and it will sell very well and we will make our money. Whereas I, I suspect to some degree it's they couldn't necessarily rely on that the same way with Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why it's better is because they felt it needed to be better to sell. Am well, I maybe reading too much into that? I do, I it, think... The fact that she's female is huge because uh, it, it meant that uh, specifically that they got Patty Jenkins involved this heavily. She, she basically had 51% of the population and every right-minded member of the other 49% uh, eyes on her going, okay, better not screw this one up. I mean, imagine the pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, quite extreme. Um, I think as well the, the fact that everybody had such high expectations it it does carry that weight of you better be the most qualified Mm. um, superhero movie we've seen yet. Um, (laughs) DC have had this horribly self-fulfilling prophecy for years now since the first Batman movie came out um, they have shied away from doing a Wonder Woman movie because her brand isn't recognised enough people don't know who Wonder Woman is they that they, they, they gave that as the reason every time and and that's the 
That's when you do the Wonder Woman animated series and you suck up the fact that it won't get the same ratings as Batman animated series. That's when you make Wonder Woman, if she's not, like, she already is a household name. That's the thing. Despite their efforts to say, oh, Wonder Woman's not recognized enough, everyone knows who the hell Wonder Woman is. It's despite DC's efforts, not because of them. Well, they know they know what she looks like, and they have a vague sense that this character Bingo. exists. Yes. But you know, go go out on onto the uh, this this has been and look, I I have no defense of you know not making this movie many times before because I mean, good lord, Green Lantern had a movie, Ant Man had a movie. We we can go right down the list. It's always been DC has been in this for a company, not like a in a sympathetic sense, but in a you understand why this is what it is kind of bind yeah. dealing with this character in that Wonder Woman in the comics is effing bizarre. You know, the, <laughs> the or, her origin story is bizarre. Her rogues gallery is is bizarre to the extent that you can call it one. You know, the, the inception of why this property exists in the first place is strange. Like, this is the only comic book character like the mainstream known where if you did like a TV special on, hey, this is, you know, the fun story of how this character was created, you'd have to put like a TV 14 rating on it mm-hmm. to explain who the, you know, who, who were the people who incepted this character mm-hmm. and under what circumstances. <laughs> and that has bled into the, uh, the earliest parts of the book. So they've always had this character who, because of when she came out, is the female character who's as well-known as Superman, that they have constantly struggled to make the comic sell after the 1950s or so to, like, the, the best advertisement they ever had for this was the Linda Carter TV show mm-hmm. because it kind of breezed through the origin and all of the weird stuff and just said, no, okay, look, she's pretty and she fights things and, and it's World War II, so there's Nazis just... You know, and uh, if you want to know about where she comes, like, so where'd she come from? What's the idea of this? Who thought all this up? They're just like, ah, well, geez, hey, look, lasso, that's fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> Listen carefully to the lyrics on this next one.
Mission accomplished, I think, for capturing pretty much all of that in the new movie. Now, we always like to introduce you to the comic book origins of the characters, and Bob has already done that in a video he entitled All the World is Waiting, and I'm going to play a big chunk of that right now. Wonder Woman was created in 1941 by, believe it or not, a Harvard PhD psychologist named William Moulton Marston. You may have heard of him as he also invented the polygraph lie detector, a distinction he shared with his wife Elizabeth Holloway. Something else they shared? Olive Byrne. Why, hello Polly, have you met my friend Emery? Keep in mind, this was the 1930s. So, yeah, in addition to a father who was one part young, one part Tesla, and two parts Hef, Wonder Woman had two mommies. In any case, it wasn't just Marston's lifestyle that was highly unconventional, to say nothing of late years ahead of his time. He also espoused theories on gender and feminine psychology that were so radical, Daria would go, damn. He developed said theories in the 1920s, when he'd done famous studies on all-female communities. Translation, he observed the rituals and private behaviors of sorority sisters. And yes, that was his job. In short, Marston believed that women were actually the superior human gender, and that the only thing keeping them from dominance was the sheer volume of labor involved in child-rearing and domestic work. Hey, I said he was radical, I didn't say he was entirely enlightened. But because he foresaw the technological advances of the modern age, making that workload much smaller, Marston theorized that within a few short generations, women would use their newfound free time to study, achieve, and take up their rightful place as rulers of the earth, which he felt was for the best. And now you're no longer wondering, how'd he pull that off? He also passionately argued on behalf of comic books as a legitimate literary form, apparently because he wasn't already cool enough. This landed him a job with what would eventually become DC Comics, and when offered the chance to create his own hero, he and the missus, and the missus, opted to give the world a mythic ideal of the new liberated woman, with Elizabeth inspiring her attitude and Olive inspiring her appearance. The origin story was a doozy. Remember the legend of Hercules conquering the Amazons? Well, in Marston's new version, Herc was a surly, macho jerkass who turned the Amazons into, uh, servants. They eventually rebelled and fled to a secret island where they could live as immortals and all men were banned. And to make sure they never forgot why men weren't allowed on the island, they all kept wearing the big-ass bracelets Herc used to keep them chained up. Yeah, that's what's going on there. But then, an American fighter pilot crash-landed on the island during World War II and tells them all about these big new bad guys called Nazis, deciding that the Nazis are the new incarnation of the hypermasculine barbarianism they'd always hated, and that, I am not making this up, America, home of Rosie the Riveter and suffrage, is the last great hope for women's equality, I know... I know. They decide to send an Amazon champion to Man's World to fight alongside the Allies. The Queen's daughter, Princess Diana, gets the job and a bunch of superpowers, weapons, and vehicles, and ta-da, Wonder Woman. Yeah, now try and tell me there isn't a good movie in that. Marston spent the last six years of his life writing the first wave of Wonder Woman stories, all of which used familiar superhero formula to drive home his broader points about female empowerment and the need for women to break the restraints of conventional gender roles. Emphasis on the restraints part. Yeah, so along with the radical feminism and implicit lesbianism, the early Wonder Woman books were also a one-stop clearinghouse for bondage, 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 and even more bondage. Like I said, interesting fellow. Obviously, if this was like a male hero that had the same issues with it, 
these would not be issues. They'd just find a way around it. You know, no one needs mm. to hear about Ayn Rand when they're talking about Spider-Man. Mm. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's, uh, it is an odd pickle that they've been in for a while of trying to figure out how to use this character who is very useful for them as an icon, but as a character of lore and depth and mythos is almost non-functional. It's, it's almost similar to the, uh, the Captain Marvel business where they have this, the, the, the DC Captain Marvel, where they have this wonderful character who has the coolest background and everything. And, you know, he's a little kid, but he turns into basically Superman. Why haven't they done anything with that? Well, for starters, we're not allowed to call him by his name because of <laughs> stuff. So it, it's, it, it's an unusual circle. I don't envy any, everyone who has tried to finally figure out a way to, to, to get this into a manageable form. Yeah. It doesn't the, surprise me that it's the solution the solution to the problem turned out to be really simple, which is make a really good movie yeah. from a company. That, like yeah. yeah. Like take what a company a whose movies are critically panned and make a really good movie and people will like the property that you make a good movie out yeah. of. Mm. We were watching Supergirl again the other day and it just occurred to me that like Superman three, I uh, do not love that movie. But if they'd made Superman three the introduction to Supergirl and then given her a spin-off movie like that's the way like it's another it's not my perfect way of doing it because ultimately the way Marvel have done like they didn't need to introduce the Guardians of the Galaxy in Thor although technically they did introduce the Guardians of the Galaxy in Thor too (laughs) kind of you know the fact that Wonder Woman's first actual on big screen appearance was like as a support character in a, a movie where the two most famous boys hit each other was galling, but it m- may have helped her here to to get some traction as opposed to just you know throwing her in blind. Um, I personally would go the Marvel route of, of uh, Kevin Feige claims every single one of these characters could carry their own movie. Um, mm. The, the fact that there's an abundance now of sort of, uh, of third, fourth, fifth tier Marvel characters getting their own TV spin-offs suggests that that also extends to TV. Mm. Um, I think D- DC are only just getting their heads around the idea that they they can allow a movie to hang on somebody other than Batman or Superman. The thing that made it really galling over the past couple of years, though, is because you twin the fact that DC were like, well, we don't know these characters, so we can't introduce them. When they did introduce them, because they're leaning so heavily on Batman, they Batman them up. So I mentioned back when we did Batman v Superman that um, Superman was, like, basically Batman in that film, and so Batman had to be double Batman. Um, (laughs) Yeah. He looks like Batman ate Batman. (laughs) Also, that's a completely circular argument. We can't introduce this character because nobody knows them, and nobody knows this character because Because we we can't can't introduce introduce them. them. Yeah. I think think so, so much of DC's problem does just boil down to... They saw how well the Avengers did. They wanted their Avengers quickly, so their shortcut idea was let's use Batman and Superman to get people to know the other heroes yeah. because then we can do movies about them. It's like, no, you have, people have to care about them in the crossover like, as characters before they'll care about them in the crossovers. Bingo. Yeah. You can't just do the crossover and hope that will make people care about the standalone film. I don't care about this Wonder Woman movie because Wonder Woman turned up for three minutes to punch stuff in Batman vs. Superman. I'd have cared a lot more about her cameo in Batman vs. Superman if she'd had this movie first. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I have to wonder, you know, is like, and this is purely hypothetical because there, but this, in the structure of Batman v Superman, the way that her character is used in there, it seems, at least to me, very clear that that was supposed to be a surprise. Yeah. You know, that we, we have this unusual person sort of wandering throughout the movie who flirts with Batman and then at the very end of the... Like, plot-wise, it doesn't make sense. If she's here to stop whatever is happening, we would have seen her do stuff before then. Yeah. You know, yeah, well... She, she was in every trailer, though. Yes, well, that, but that's that's like, like, yes they bottled the on the idea of surprise. A bunch of the trailers was Wonder Woman's going to turn up at some point. Like, I think she might have been on some of the posters. She, she was, and, and it, as it got toward the end... It, I mean, they delayed that movie for, like, a full year. Like, they had the big announcement at Comic-Con before they'd shot the movie. Mm. You know, be- before, they'd dis- before they'd made the movie of, you know, having the shot that they'd pre of Ben Affleck standing next to the bat signal with Superman up in the cloud to tell everyone, to get everyone hyped about it. And then they immediately delayed it for, like, a year. And I... I mean, these things take forever to make, especially something like that where it looks like 90% of it had to be pre-vised. But it, it would not surprise me. Like, the way it's laid out, it feels like they wanted to sell and say, okay, here's Batman v Superman, and then have her turn up at the very end mm. and have that be the thing everyone walked out of the theater going, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. Wow, mm. what a shock. And then they felt like they, probably under studio pressure, had to put her in all of the advertising. Because then the very ne- like the year after that, when they took it to Comic Con, when the movie was half finished and uh, brought out, then she was all over the advertising, and it, it seems like they, like you said, they were in such a rush to get to the Avengers. I have to wonder if this would not have been an even bigger deal if, even though everyone would still have hated that movie, if they'd all come out going, "Holy shit! What a surprise! I can't believe that's there." But. Um, uh, one of yeah. the contributing factors might have been uh, Marvel uh, putting Civil War out and announcing that Captain yeah. America 3 was not going to be Serpent Society, but in fact, Civil War. Um, right. Because then, like, everybody who knows comics knows, oh my god, Iron Man's going to be in the next Captain America, these guys are going to clash, that means there's going to be as many superheroes as they can muster together, and that was exactly how it finally turned out, and it was amazing. Um, so that kind of forced DC's hand to go, well, we've got Wonder Woman! How did yeah. you like them apples? Maybe, maybe that was the thing. Well, and it's 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 the first really good, like at this point, I don't blame them for putting all over everything, and I don't blame them on for you know fast tracking this because this was not only a movie people have been waiting for. This is really the first chance that, to the degree that there is a a rivalry, quote unquote, between these two studios and everything, which is kind of goofy. Like mm. it's it's fanboy stuff that's more. It, it exists more in the fan culture's head than it does in real life. Yeah. But this is the first opportunity that Warner Brothers has had to do any, like, even if the Wonder Woman movie comes out and it's just, a, like, if it comes out and it's Ghostbusters and it's just, oh, hey, that's okay. You know, this isn't, this this is not terrible. This is, like, a decent-ish movie. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they would, uh, they would still be able to say, Hey, we got this out before Captain Marvel. Marvel's had like you know nine movies, and they've never had a woman. And uh, now we like this was the first opportunity where just by existing, they were going to get the free press of Hey, you got out ahead of the other guys for a change. Yeah, 
there was a long search for a, a female director as well. Well, they were they were right to um to actually press for that rather than to like wasn't there, there was a woman who was who had worked on Game of Thrones wasn't there who was in the running for a while and then had to drop out. Michelle McLaren was directing the movie and then had to leave for um, undisclosed differences. Gotcha. Okay. Um, well, either way, Patty Jenkins. I've not seen Monster before. I'm totally going to now. Mm. I mean, if nothing else, Carly Theron got an Oscar for her performance, and Carly Theron has since around, oh, I don't know, 2015, suddenly shot to the top of my favourite females list. <laughs> but, um, okay, that's why the film is significant. That's point one on my list of bullet points. We've done 27 minutes on that. So let's talk <laughs> about Wonder Woman, the film itself. Uh, first off, the look of the film. How, uh, just briefly, how is this different from, say, I don't know, Man of Steel or Batman v Superman or Suicide Squad? I can see colours. <laughs> not only were there colours, there were multiple different colour palettes. <laughs> like, it was it had lots of sometimes. You had like yeah, you had lots of colour, then a different set of colours, then a different set of colours. Mm-hmm. So many colours. The sea was blue, the sky was blue, the, the, the grass was green. The sand was yellow. You know, just it looked like I don't know, the world. As opposed yeah. to a toilet seen through the, from the inside of the toilet. But like e- even when they were like, "Here we are in the trenches in in the war," mm. there was still color. Like it wasn't all just washed out and over like oversaturated. You did like everything. It, it looked there were colors. There were proper colors. There's a very conscious use of high contrast colors versus more naturalistic stuff to denote. The, the supernatural mythological business and the real world business. Mm. You know, there's a lot like, you know, Themyscira looks like Hawaii on a clear day. You know, it, it's like, you know, impossibly blue skies, you know, the, the, the perfect water and everything. And then immediately beyond it, it just looks like, you know, the ocean on an overcast day. World War One looks looks drab. And then she looks very like she pops in the middle of it, which is a, a very smart understanding of what you can do with digital color grading all that business at the end uh you know it looks again like uh, like a traditional war movie until what shows up shows up and then suddenly it's uh we're we're in almost a Zack snyder movie and even <laughs> yes. like the, the the thing that stood out to me most in terms of colors was the outfit mm. her outfit was not a washed out colored version like you look at say superman's outfit in batman vs superman or it was wonder technic- woman's outfit in batman vs superman <laughs> well actually yeah that's a really good point like there were technically shades of red and blue but they were both very much on the gray and black end mm. of red and blue colors but here it's it like no like this is bronze yeah, here this is unabashedly there are reds and blues and colours. Yeah, I think that part of it was, part of what was so striking about it was that it really has that feel that in a in a world of war and, um, and dull and dismal misery where everybody's terrified and everybody's miserable, um, superheroes glow. That's what they're meant hmm. to do. And... It, uh, until now, in this particular franchise, they haven't really. Yeah, um, so it was, it was the, really cool to see that. They're meant to be the bright ray of light that pops in and just like draws all the attention. It's like you are, you know, you're the bright hope here. Mm. Whereas previously they've been, we are the dark monsters that I guess are going to save you, but we're also going to make you afraid. If you uh, search on Google Images, there are people who have recolored the original um, appearances of uh, Wonder Woman in BVS, and it's 
like just looking at you can see these two pictures side by side and the colors suddenly popping Sharon, um, this might be jumping ahead a little bit, but you pointed out the difference between Marvel movies and DC movies, and this is still in keeping with the previous movies, um, how the heroes are put across. Yeah, well, the, the, I mean, this is, this is something that I always kind of felt about uh, DC and Marvel comics, and it's one of the reasons, I think, why... Um, you know, some people are more drawn to Marvel stories and some people are more drawn to DC stories. But the the, the fundamental difference between the, the superhero characters to me seems to be the, the difference between uh, mythological heroes on the Marvel side. So people who are very much human and mm. very flawed and uh, very much on the same level as the people around them that they go out of their way to, to save and to protect. And on the DC side, they're gods. They mm. come from outside our world. They have come to our world to do good things and to protect people. But there's always been this sense of distance. And I, I think what I was trying to put my finger on with the difference between the movies was that it's not so much that... Um, it's not so much that Marvel movies have more heart, certainly not now, certainly not with, with Wonder Woman, but they have more warmth. They seem a little closer. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think that, like, the times that I most enjoy DC stories are when these gods are having to deal with human relatable moments, and that happens far too rarely in DC's movies. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if, if, if I'm looking at, say, uh, Superman as a character... There's a couple of particular stories in which he deals with, like, hey, here's someone who's, say, suicidal, for example, and this is not a problem that you can fix by just, oh, no, I flew up and got the person and brought them down. That fixes the problem. Yeah. And those are the things that I really like with DC storytelling is when they take someone who has all these magical powers and they can't or shouldn't use those powers to fix a situation. And... I really like some of those moments in, in Wonder Woman. Like, there, there are moments when she first turns up at the, the war front, and it's like, you can't... I, I know you want to stop and help these people in need, but you can't. This is, like, you can't help everyone. Like, those are the moments that were really warming about Wonder Woman to me, where it's like, it's... Yeah, you may be a god, but you're going to have to deal with human problems and have relatable human responses to those problems. And that's nice. Like, there's been a lack of that in DC's films. Yeah. There's a, a famous quote, and it, it's one of those quotes that's famous enough that you, for the life, you can't find who it's supposed to be attributed to. <laughs> from from sort of like the you know the the comic convention circuit where someone trying to sum up the difference between the DC and Marvel heroes in their you know in their in their original form in the material. And someone said the main theme of Marvel is men have trouble being gods. And the problem in DCs is gods have trouble being men. Nice. Yes. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I wish I knew who said it. <laughs> it's good. Thank you, mysterious quote attributee. Uh, 
Um, the uh, costumes and the locations obviously all played into the look of this, and uh, fantastic. Like, it felt a little bit somewhere between Lord of the Rings and Gladiator at times, just in terms of just how the, the, these sort of beautiful furs and leathers and and and, and like bronze and metals and yeah, Connie Neal. <laughs> The fact that, like, Connie Nielsen is Wonder Woman's mum and Maximus is Superman's dad. Oh, my God. They have a massive boner for Gladiator. (laughs) But that is nothing to when you consider that Steve Trevor's biological father in Star Trek was Thor. The the opening, by the way, with the, uh, the, the moving artwork... For me, that was a masterstroke because straight away it's de- it's delivering the sort of the the thousands of years ago preamble in a really visually arresting way that we just don't see that much. Well, it's it's Disney's setup of you mm. know this is a storybook and this is how you know that this is a story that we're about to tell you. And they yeah. very subtly, but overtly, and they very <laughs> they did one thing and the exact opposite, and they. They very subtly blended um, Greek mythology with very kind of biblical stuff, mm. so that it's you know, yeah. okay, Zeus is God and Ares is Lucifer, and you know, here's here's all this setup. So it, it was on one hand, it's co-opting a whole culture and their mythology. On the other hand, it's making it monomyth. It's it's calling attention to the fact that the All Father is always the father of everyone. It's mm. you know he's Odin as well. Yeah. That was a really great way of making sure that everybody was on board with the larger mythological things that were going on, because it was like, oh, I get it. It's like this myth that I already know about. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's very little in here, visually or plot-wise, that you can't like point to and say, okay, that's very similar to another recent movie, which mm-hmm. is, or, or another film of the last, like, 15 to 10 years. Yeah. yeah. yeah and that, that feels a little bit, like, by design. Mm-hmm. You know, again, you, you're taking this character and all of this business that is really, I mean, in the in the comics, the Amazons ride kangaroos. They ride very large kangaroos. Missed opportunity. <laughs> because that was seen as, hey, this is... You know, in, in comics, it's how weird can you make this? We've got to make this stand out from the other thousand books on the on the rack. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it does look like it's like, you know, she comes from the magical island that appears to be parts Gladiator, parts Clash of the Titans, parts Lord of the Rings. Uh, there's a lot of immortals in this. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, yeah. You like immortals, a, don't you? Which is, is a movie that uh, no one, but, but people saw that was like a pretty like, big deal, but no one kind of remembers that they mm. saw it. Featuring Superman as well. Henry Cavill's in that movie. Yeah, yeah, early yeah. on. And that, you know, it's... there. Uh, you know, there's uh, the whole thing about how much influence did Zack Snyder have over the, the story or mm-hmm. anything, you know, because he's grandfathering all of this, though we now don't know how much because he's obviously been indisposed with other yeah. much more pressing matters. I will um, say on a side note, I have felt fucking wretched in the past few weeks uh, considering what has actually happened to Zack, considering how furious I was last year and pointed so much of it towards him. I've always thought that he was kind of this baffling talent. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I was I was very irate regarding Batman v Superman and angry at his supreme influence over the DC universe. Yeah. But that... What happened to him and his family is a nightmare. It is unimaginable and no one should have to ever go through it. So, uh, my... Sympathies entirely lie with uh, Mr. Snyder and and, uh, and Deborah. 
you know, there is some credit to him for actually, like, he did he write the script or just the story? Or? It, the, the, the implication seems to be that, that, like, he was involved in suggesting where these things should fall. Okay. Uh, I, I want to I want to say that it might have been his decision be, before they because I mean Patty Jenkins came on when the movie had already been wow. set up and okay. and everything else and then redid a lot of stuff to suit more where she wanted to go but I I want to say that it was a an early thing that he at least insisted that it be World War One and not World War Two and uh, presumably suggested a lot of the storyline which it seems weird at first that it's not that it's not World War Two. Because then yeah. you look like, oh, okay, now what you're what you're going for here only really works in World War One because you you can't really do the oh you men are all the same war is awful there's good and bad on both sides when there's the when the Nazis are there yeah, yeah. That, plus that, if that moral doesn't fly yeah even if you try and go for that moral you then get with World War Two your villain would be far too predictable because you would ultimately have to go for. Hitler is the villain and Wonder Woman killed Hitler. Like yeah. that that would be your ultimate endpoint if you did this with World War Two, and I'm glad that's not what this was. Yeah. Or you go the route they went with First Avenger and create an offshoot mm. which mm. I think Which effectively Danny Houston's character was. It, yeah. it, it was, but they yeah. managed to put that across in a much less cartoonish way yeah. than um, Red Skull comes Although over. Uh, there was that bit where he kills all of his uh, lieutenants, all the other like his super Superiors, even, and it's exactly the same as when Red Skull just yeah. blasts everyone with a laser gun. <laughs> but I mean, I, I am not going to go. Well, this was a bit like First Avenger or Thor. I'm like, good, good, yeah. well done. Mm, yeah, not going to criticize it, them. It fits for all. Like, I love Uncharted, and Uncharted is derivative as hell. It's Tomb Raider okay. with, with Gears of War, and uh, I, I've never railed against things for being derivative. For me, it's all about the blend, mm. like how distinct to the flavors that you're putting together here mm. it's just like that kind of tropical punch that you get the cheap stuff from the supermarket you're like i could taste orange and other stuff then <laughs> then it, you've done a bad job but if you're like mm, oh yeah, i can say okay well that's good that's cool that's cool and like if the whole way through you're enjoying the flavors then you've done a really good job even if so, even if all of these influences are so clear so what you're saying here is that this is not like you know the Aldi's tropical punch juice drink <laughs> to uh, to Marvel. This is the like Waitrose premium tropical oh, yes. juice. Oh, like yeah. this, this is, is the like oh yeah that is the same you know it's technically tropical juice much like Marvel have been making but oh, this is a good one. It's a good one. In all seriousness, this is that juice that you walk past every week and go four pounds bloody hell and you never buy it and then like on your birthday you go you know what sod it I am having the four pound juice and then you have it and it's like. Mm. <laughs> oh, I wish it was my birthday every day. So it's, That's how good Wonder Woman is. It's Coke and Pepsi, not Coke and Panda Pops Cola. It's not Coke. <laughs> Don't bring well, no, Coke. Don't fizzy brown sugar eat. water in. It's, it's two comparable but slightly different things as opposed to two comparable but one is considerably worse as a uh, rip-off. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yes. yeah. Okay, right. So it's Coke and Pepsi versus, like, if you've only ever drunk Panda Pops your whole life... And then suddenly, some like you've just walked through the the Nevada desert, and then someone hands you a very frosty Coca-Cola in a glass bottle. You're like, flink. But yeah, okay. This movie took, took my breath away repeatedly. Um, one of the major things, and this comes back to the why is this significant, is 
the amount of imagery we've seen in the past few months, I mean, we've seen it for years, but for, in the past few months, it's really been ramping up. And hats off to Gal Gadot for just jumping in on this one of Wonder Woman being an inspirational real-life person to real-life kids, specifically little girls, and showing little girls, you can play too, you can totally be this kind of hero. There are other reasons to fight than rage. And um, just the amount of, of these sort of wonderful, inspirational little Twitter, like I'm on Twitter far too much, but little Twitter images of like little kids in Wonder Woman uh, outfits or like a little kid posing with Gal Gadot and going, oh, it's actually Wonder Woman. <laughs> I love that. I love it when Chris Evans does that. I love it when Chris Pratt does that. All the Chrises. Um, and, and, but the fact that this is the very specific sort of bringing in ladies I, Best stuff I, in the world. I I think there was there was a moment right near the beginning of this film that really stood out to me in that regard in terms of saying it's okay for young girls to aspire to to have aspirations of being like superheroes and it's the fact that they show Wonder Woman as a child as a young as a young girl mm-hmm. watching other people be strong competent mm-hmm. fighters and mimic them along and aspire to be like them and to have an adult recognize that aspiration and say that's okay you're allowed to aspire to that let's help you become this big amazing thing that you aspire to be and you're going to work you're going to work hard and you're going to be better than those people that you aspired to be absolutely that wowed me i had tears in my eyes that was fantastic it it just it's all summed up in just young young child wonder woman like little little girl just stood up on the hill practicing the punches and the kicks watching mm. watching all the bigger people do it and I'm like oh that's so nice to see in a film yeah, yeah. heart swell i think that that was one of the the big things that i think they really <clears throat> struck that note spot on because it it did occur to me that one of the reasons they might have found it difficult to um to kind of commit to the idea of of doing wonder woman is that if you look at the the very successful um, repeated superhero releases, so Spider-Man, Batman and and Superman, ultimately those characters all come in as children. Mm. It Mm. might only be for a fairly short amount of time, but this is why I think they keep doing the origin story of Batman, because if you're going to get kids on board with this, they have to see him as a child. Mm. I know, I know. Are we including the whole pearl necklace? I know, I know it's a a sort of a horrendous thing to happen, but it it does provide a point of connection. And if Wonder Woman has always been kind of, you know, springing forth like Athena from Zeus's forehead fully formed, Mm. you don't have that opportunity to get little children involved. And this did that really well. But for all the criticisms of young Bruce Wayne, you at least get this person was a child once who wasn't always this big superhero mm. and they went from not having powers to aspiring to protect people and becoming that and you yeah. get that point of connection for children of that is a child like me who is doesn't have you know who isn't a superhero but they can become one mm. yeah. and that's the arc that's missing in that that this hit so well yeah Gal Gadot herself. I remember, um, uh, Bob, and you might actually still maintain this because I remember on your, on your re- very recent review of Wonder Woman, you maintained this. Uh, uh, but um, 
you'd never seen Gal Gadot actually act. And up until... I'm still not sure that I have. Oh, man! Well, no, but I think that's because it's... This is I, and I think that this is a, a credit in her in her favor. You know, um, I, I don't I, I don't mean that to be a uh, sort of a, like a like a down a down talking of this of this character because you know acting is really important. Casting is also really important. You know, Vin Diesel has been giving the same performance for about fifteen years in every single movie, <laughs> and he's a star because it works in one of them. Mm. You know, because he has one franchise where that very singular thing that he does and, you know, like mouthing words strangely in like really low vocal fry, uh, <laughs> you know, mis- mispronouncing very easy words and uh, crossing his arms and glowering is, you know, really, really sells whatever the hell Dominic Toretto is. There ain't no way I'm installing a nuclear engine in my family's car. You know, I would be I'd be curious to see Gal Gadot now do or how however we pronounce the name because I'm not because I've heard it said Gadot. Okay, uh, we could uh, we can carry on saying Gadot then because I I've only ever been saying Gadot because I have know, only ever said Gadot, but Oh. I'm, I'm not sure I I don't think I, I like I've never heard her say her own name and she has a like you know is Israeli accented English has a very specific intonation. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I assume she knows how to say it. But, you know uh, what? Actually, uh, if I imagine her speaking, she doesn't. There's no uh, like uh, no yeah. silent T. So yeah, I'm going to say good up. Yeah, that, that okay. has a hard. That okay, like hard there, stuff. there is there is a pronounced T apparently. Okay, uh, we'll call it good up. Okay, well. Um, I think uh, what I mean to say when I say I don't know that I've seen her act yet, I would be because I mean she was also just in that spy comedy thing, which you know so far every movie seems to be using her in exactly the same way, mm. which is wow she is strikingly beautiful and also does not seem to be of this earth. Yeah, she's this mysterious, beautiful alien who you'd love to talk to, but she's too mysterious. She's that <laughs> in in Fast and the Furious. She's that in um, Keeping Up with the Joneses, the John Hamm thing. But the whole way through um, Batman v Superman, when Wonder Woman could be speaking, she's just sort of uh, like smiling at Bruce in a sort of a mysterious way, like she knows hundreds of years worth of stuff more than him, which she does. Yeah. And she hasn't got much to work with because, like, in the script, she just walks away and gets in a really awesome car. But this yeah. is this is partly why, and this is something I already said this on Twitter, and I will quite happily say it again now. I take back every doubt I had about her being able to pull this role off because I, I mean, I loved her in the Fast and Furious franchise, but I didn't think she was right for Wonder Woman. I take that back. She is fantastic. Fully seconded. I've been saying, why the hell didn't they go with Gina Carano um, for years now? Uh, Gina Carano could not have achieved what Gal Gadot does in this film in the same way, with the same level of universal appeal as she clearly is. Mm. I mean, I think although she doesn't necessarily have um, long speeches to do or or you know masses of of dialogue i mean that what she has is incredibly powerful mm. um mm. but i think i know what you mean bob about not necessarily having seen her act 
Um, but it, in her physical performance, in her expression, in the way she holds herself, everything about the, the visual acting, she has down. She oh, really, yeah. really does. Like, the things that stood out to me about her were like those little moments of like hesitation and doubt when yeah. she, you know, felt the need to do something but realized she couldn't. Like, okay, I can't save those people. I have to keep going. Mm. Um, like the moments of turmoil she had where it's like, I thought I had killed the villain and there is still war and killing this one bad person has not stopped war. And those moments of like turmoil and conflict were really well portrayed. She she did a very good job of believably portraying internal conflict and an uncertainty of what was the right thing to do that sold, that sold the character. I've now seen Jennifer Lawrence do the scene where um, Diana gets back to the village and finds it's been mustard gassed and freaks out 15 times to the point where when I see it the 16th time, it will not register on an emotional scale. So when she freaked out in Passengers, I had to think hard about the context that the character was going through rather than just, this is Jennifer Lawrence doing that thing Jennifer Lawrence does when she's just right. had too much and the the weird the worst thing about this is when i first saw her do that in hunger games and in uh, first class she's amazing at that and she really puts that much into it but when gal gadot did it here i had not seen her do that before and it really stabbed mm. at my heart i, I really felt that yeah I think this is a flaw of the Hollywood system, though, mm. and it's it's not fair on pe- on some people who have the potential to be really, really good actors. And to a degree, a part of this is that we haven't seen Jennifer Lawrence in the, the roles where she's done sort of more low-key dramatic stuff. But somebody like uh, Scarlett Johansson, for example, yeah. she gets known for doing one thing really well. That's what people hire her to do. Mm. And that's what everybody gets to see her do. And and I actually really liked, um, it was weird as all get out, um, but that, uh, is it Under the Skin? Under the Skin. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I loved her in that. I thought that just the, the fact that she was playing so detached and remote and um, and and inhuman felt not like worlds different from stuff that I've seen her do before, but it just it just felt different and and you know being able to see her carry that off as well. Mm. Uh, but that was a tiny little film that hardly anybody saw. Yeah, although mm. apparently, isn't it like? Um one of the state's favourite science fiction Apparently films. so, like, yeah. There was like a, 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 a map with all of the, the every every state's favourite sci-fi film. Only one state loved Under the Skin. And only, only one state loved uh, Lilo and Stitch best of all, and that was Hawaii, and that was lovely. Because of course they did. Yeah. Right, Scarlett Johansson is in, I think, very much of the same boat in that regard, though, in, in that Hollywood historically does not know what to do with actresses who cannot make romantic comedies. Yeah. They, they really don't like, they'll, you know, like they, they know what to do with someone who can, who can play sort of, you know, bubbly, perky, all American girl. And then, you know, find a dramatic version of that too. Like, they, like Hollywood Amy Adams. Yeah. Yeah. They know what to do with Amy Adams. They know what to do with Julia Roberts. They've known what to do with Reese Witherspoon, Sarah Michelle Gellar. They've mm. known what to do to a certain extent with Jennifer Garner while she was appearing in films. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, like Scarlett Johansson, I would say I would, I would put very much next to Gal Gadot in that they both are 
very, they have a real unusual, you, you kind of have to call it an alien presence. They don't mm-hmm. seem like they're familiar. Scar- Scarlett Johansson is never better than when she's allowed to speak like she speaks, which is almost creepily without affect. Mm-hmm. That's that's when, you know, the, the under the skin works. That's why Lucy is fun in spite of itself. I was going to mention Lucy. I really like her in there. Yeah. yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. What strikes me about her use Gal Gadot's use in Wonder Woman is not to continue in going back to the Marvel thing, but something this does that uh, the Marvel movies have built their whole brand out of is this is a genuine star vehicle yeah. in that it feels like they have their actress and then they've built everything about this character around her strength. You know, mm-hmm. she she. You could do an entirely, like, you know, same story, same script, and have another version of this where she's sort of haughty and learns humility or something. But uh, in this version, it's like, no, she's really good at seeming like she's from somewhere else and doesn't feel recognizably human. So we'll do this kind of, you know, warrior maiden, little mermaid, learning to walk on land kind of thing. And, and it works. And you can see that in the Marvel movies, you know, like, people care who Iron Man is now, who no one cared before, because they made the movie and said, okay, who do we have, Robert Downey Jr.? Okay, Tony Stark is now Robert Downey Jr. Rob, just do the best version of you we can, and we've got a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at, like, Captain America. Yeah, first, mm-hmm. yeah. We oh. didn't know Chris Evans was actually Captain America in <laughs> this movie until after the movie comes out, and it's like, Oh, wow, yeah, I just thought he was really good in that movie, but no, it turns out this is just that guy. Um, one, one of the things I thought was really good about her performance is that while you're totally right, like a lot of this film is her sort of playing to that strength of being slightly alien, slightly, there's just something not quite what you expect of a performance of a human, a standard human character. Mm-hmm. But I think what really worked is that she was able to do that for most of the film. Most of the film was her playing the slightly detached, something not quite right with her presence. Demigoddess. Until, yeah, the demigoddess thing, right until that one scene, as as mentioned before, with the mustard gas, mm. where like the whole way through she's been playing this very singularly driven character who is mm. motivated beyond all else to be like, I have my goal and I'm heading towards it. And that very human moment that you get where it's suddenly, I trusted other people and their judgment. Something bad happened. I blame this on myself. Could I have prevented this? And I think the reason that scene works so well is because her very human reaction is so contrasted to the way she is in most of that film. Yeah. Most yeah. of that film she plays just slightly detached, not quite on the same page as all of the other standard human characters until she just has this one very understandable human moment. Mm. Well, it, it, that felt ridiculous levels of authentic to me because mm. that that sense of, um, you know, everything she's tried so far, she's been really good at. Everybody's bent over backwards to make sure that she is the best of the best and, and yeah. um, you know, has been pushing her towards this goal. She has drilled into herself, this is her purpose, this is what she's there yeah. to do. She gets there and she fails. She, you know, she can't, I mean, she succeeds on the one hand, but then there's something that she literally cannot stand in the way of. And yeah. that could have devastated her to the degree that she gave up 
but mm. it's the it's the getting back up again, and, and that's I, the uh, inspirational element. Of and it. I I so love that this is a female action hero who has the like okay this is devastating this is horrible what's happened and straight away uses it as motivation to go fight the villain we don't get a 10 minute i am so sad so brooding i have to stop and have a cry while i'm consoled by the male characters right i'm so happy that that wasn't what happened that we just went like this is your fault you stopped me from preventing this attack i'm gonna go and and save people and it was it was just so well played because it was in such stark contrast to the way she'd played the character up till then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you well, know, a, a thought just occurred to me that that you know you know perhaps you know since that 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 whole sequence is is set in the morning. Is this the first actor, male or female, in a long time to like headline and act like to to become like now an action star who has actually been in 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 the military? It, it feels like that hasn't happened in a while. I can't think of another one off my head. Yeah. And not like in a, a token sense. She was an mm. IDF combat trainer for for several years. Yeah, I do. I do have to wonder, Does now that you mention it, does that have any significance in her ability to authentically play a scene about the horrors of war? It in may. any sense. It certainly made her. He, she fitted in very well with the other soldiers. Mm. That felt very authentic when she was walking yeah. with them. She felt like this is my place. Yeah. There's also something incredibly human about this, which I, I don't. I don't want to make this a kicking um, session for the previous DC movies, but I'm just going to use them to highlight what was absent in it before, which is now been put in. Um, the scene where she um, gets Steve to lie down next to her in the boat when they're just going across and he's really nervous about it mm. and they just chat for about four minutes <laughs> and it just it feels long because that's much longer than anyone's talked about anything that's not <laughs> very very key to the plot in any DC movie like right. I can't think of a single conversation in Suicide Squad that wasn't like just two, three lines, and then let's get back to the plot. Mm. You know, no one talks about stuff. Yeah. Because you know, like, when people talk about stuff, that shows you who they are, and it's like this mm. is script writing one oh one. You know what else was good about that conversation? I laughed during it. Yes. Yeah. There were jokes. There was, was humor. There was a light tone to a conversation that wasn't plot relevant. It was fun and funny. Like, like uh, cast your mind back to. Uh, sorry to use Batman v Superman again, but the bit where um, Superman is talking to Lois and then gets in the bath with her. Can you remember what they were talking about? They were talking. Yeah. For some reason, I thought I, th I think ordering a sandwich was discussed, and I don't know why I think that was the case. A lot brought in groceries. I a think. lot of uh, the the previous films. Um, Snyder's two films were very much kept steering things back to what can man do with gods on earth and what can gods do on earth with men and that was the, the main bent of everything that everyone said what are we to do with this superman um, and Suicide Squad it was just a, a lot of this you know we're getting fucked over by the system well fuck the system and that was most of Suicide Squad Yeah. Mm. Um, and this was 
people. war and people at war and people going right well, we got to do this horrible thing but ultimately we do also then want to go home afterwards yeah. you know we, we we have lives we are people i mean even if those lives are somewhat emptier i mean i got from um steve trevor that his life wasn't an abundance of uh, you know friendships and uh, um mm. you know hot dates every single night and what i relished about chris pine's performance was his tentativeness the, the, what you mentioned before uh, Laura about um, uh, Diana being uncertain I, I love the fact that they both are um, that they could have easily made Steve Trevor kind of a pig the animated Wonder Woman film um, Nathan Fillion plays him super charming but like he's kind of a pig he's um... easy you're lucky to be alive so just conserve your energy and rest did you did you stop Ares no, I didn't. I couldn't. What? Why not? I had to save you. Ow! I didn't need you to save me. I needed you to stop Ares. Hey, if it weren't for me, you wouldn't be here right now. I'm an Amazon, Steve. We're prepared from birth to give our lives in battle. I knew what the consequences were going into this mission. I bet you would have acted differently if I were a man. Oh, playing the sex card again, are you? You know what? I've had just about enough of listening to you go on about how terrible men are. Does the truth hurt, Steve? Newsflash! The Amazons ain't so perfect either. You act brave, but cutting yourselves off from the outside world was cowardly. Not to mention stupid. Like less communication between men and women is what the world needed. How dare you? No, I'm not done. You met your first man, what, like 15 minutes ago? And you think you have us all figured out? Well, I'm sorry. But not everything a man does is to further some misogynistic agenda. We don't hold doors open or pull out chairs for women because we're trying to keep you down. And I didn't save you because I thought you were some damsel in distress. I saved you because... Because I care about you, Diana. And I'm not going to abandon a friend in need. Man or woman. You should have saved the world instead of me. Maybe I figured the world's not worth saving if you're not in it. He may be a little bit of a pig, but that doesn't mean that little speech didn't come from a place of truth. That's mm. fine. That's a fine point to make, if blunt. Mm. In But that. he's still calling her angel by the end of the movie, and Bingo. I wanted to punch him. Whereas with Chris Pine, who has previously been an immense pig in Star Trek... Um, and uh, I think he's a huge... Like, I've never seen it before, but I don't want to. This means war, where him and mm. Pig Tom Hardy piggishly pig about trying to get hold of Reese yeah. Witherspoon with wiretapping and abusing their uh, abilities as government agents. Ugh, just my flesh just crawled off my body. Um, so oh, either way, <laughs> Chris Pine could have easily just been positioned as this sort of, um, you know, ov- overly macho guy, but... He's a stand-up guy, and he's uncertain a lot of the time. And mm. there's a, a, a clear sort of texture and layer to his character where there's the front and then there's the soft underbelly there. And the I think it was really hammered home during the love scene, which the amount of time he took to watch her, to gauge what was going on, and to slowly close the door and then approach her with a without forcing the situation. I thought that was just really excellent physical acting there on, on his part. Mm, yeah. And the amount of time he took 
to shoot the bombs at the end. That sort of the excuse me, the level of preparation required to do that. Mm. He sold it, and yeah. it's not the first time he sold that. I, I think everything he did with that character, he played with a a quiet reverence. Um, like you know, he had this nice texture to the character that. He understood the system he was working within politically. He wasn't afraid to play the game, but to then walk away and be like, okay, I've said the right things. I'm now going to do what's important and what I need to do. But whenever it came to Diana, everything was just done with this sense of, I know you are someone special that is significantly more important in what we're trying to do than I am my role here is to support you and to help you get where you need to go. And I'm just going to quietly revere you from the side and do what I need to do to, to help you achieve what you need to achieve and to help you do this. And I think right up to those final moments, which I think that like, it was a very strong move that I am very glad they did where they, you know, had his character actually die in the explosion at the end, because like you know that that felt important because he made a tangible sacrifice he recognized the importance of what Diana was doing and was like I'm going to make sure you're able to do this because I see the importance of what you're doing mm. and it was just nice to have that be his character is that you know he had all these layers of you know I've got to work within the system but I'm going to subvert it anyway and disobey what I'm supposed to do but just all underpinned by this nice quiet, I recognize that you are important mm. and I'm going to respectfully help you get done what you need to do. And that's, think, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, I think a huge part of, of what sold him to me as well was the honesty that he, mm. he carried with him. And it, it it's kind of played humorously in the initial scene where they've got the lasso on him and he's fighting it because he doesn't want to have to tell the <laughs> truth. Um, but then it, as the as it progresses, you kind of pick up on these little moments where, like you said, Alex, he, he could be all front, but he's mm. not. He is vulnerable and he's willing to admit it, even if it's in a pretty subtle way. That scene where he's sort of talking to her about what what things people do when they've finished with war and they mm. marry and they have children and they set up houses and all this, that and the other. And she says, and what's that like? And he just looks at her and says, do you know what? I don't know. Yeah. Just that feeling that he he is, um, you know, he is scared and he is uncertain and he is willing to admit that, even if and, it's just to her. Yeah, and he he very much wants her to know that he feels okay being honest with her. Mm. Like that seems to be a really significant thing to him. Is this like, look, I'm being honest and I I want you to know that I'm being open with you. There's that scene as they're leaving the uh, the military building in London toward the beginning where he's saying, I can't remember what it is he's saying, but he's, he says something. He's like, do not believe me. And he grabs the lasso and wraps it around himself and repeats mm. it. And he's just like, look, I'm being I'm being open. I'm being honest. I want you die. to be able to. Yeah, I want you to be able to trust me that I'm being open and honest and I am scared about this. Yeah. His his exit is good enough that it's going to be a real shame that by Tuesday, the only thing people remember is that they ended another one of these with a guy named Steve blowing himself up in an airplane. <laughs> there were parallels again, but um, but this one... I, I, 
This is the difference between fridging and not fridging. Uh, the, mm. This dates back to that Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner scenario where uh, Kyle Rayner's girlfriend was butchered and put in the fridge to make him upset and angry. And Steve dies, and it's to inspire Diana. It's not it's- to make her angry. In fact, if anything, it's to resolve that anger to focus mm. that passion it's yeah. it's the same reason a lot of the deaths in rogue one didn't bother me in that they were deaths that weren't there just to like make a character furious and push them onwards they're characters who died doing something tangible mm. making making conscious sacrifices for the greater good to make sure that others would be that others could live in their stead and that they weren't there just to be like, because I think what's really interesting here is this doesn't happen at the beginning of the film. It happens at the end. The resolutions already happened once he dies. There's no, you know, big inspiration needed. It's just he did what he had to do and he saved a lot of people doing it. Absolutely. And it really, that whole section really made me feel, um, made me think of the fifth element and, mm. um, and, and Lilu's. Uh, response to realizing how much she is loved and how much love can achieve and that being the inspirational thing that that gets her to get back on her feet and keep going and it it made me think of the when when she says about how uh, the the most important thing is love or, or however it is that she phrases it mm. um the the line about um uh, greater love hath no man than this uh, that he lay down his life for his friends and i'm probably horrendously misquoting it and i apologize but her realizing that that's how much Steve loves his fellow man, that he'll do this to, to stop mm. this war, and that being inspirational to her. Again, tears it, flowing yeah. down my face in I, the cinema. Yeah. I, I, I was at times really annoyed by the romance, but I think that was a big part of me being okay with it. By the end was the realization that when he's talking about love before he goes off in the plane, a lot of it is just him talking about general love for humanity. Mm. And that felt in some way a lot less, a lot less forced and a lot less cheesy that it was this very relatable look. Humans might, there might be a lot of bad people and even without someone leading them to be bad, some people are just bad, you know, regardless but I still just generally love humanity and I am willing to do what it takes to help and to save people. And it was a really beautiful sentiment. And also like inherently, I don't know why, but I'm less bothered by the, the romance for the female superhero when the man dies at the end. And I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> that, like, the, the fact, maybe it's just the fact that it means that she's not going to go away from saving the world. And it's like, yeah, she saved the world, but the real ending is about her falling in love. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's the fact we sidestepped that, that meant that his death made the romance less irritating. <laughs> Possibly. So I think there's, there's an element to that as well, um, which I think came out really strongly in the in the scene where they go into the room and he closes the door and it's pretty obvious what happens next we don't need yeah. any waves crashing on a beach or trains going into tunnels or anything like that but i wouldn't mind seeing that <laughs> the, the, the subtlety of how that was played um one of the things that that really struck me about that was that basically this is this is her losing her virginity and I don't know whether this is partly because it was a female director. I honestly, I think you know, I'm not. I'm not saying that a male director would necessarily have played it 
with different emphasis. But it could very easily have been, this is a game changer for her. This is such a massive moment that really brings her into the world of humanity. It didn't. It cemented something that was already there. And obviously it was very significant, but it wasn't, you know, this is a big thing that changes her as a person. It didn't change a thing. Yeah. She's still her. More so than that, like explicitly before the, the, their romance, their sex scene ever happens, you have that conversation on the boat where it's like, you know, I read these 12 volumes of stuff about sex. And ultimately, the conclusion is that men are kind of irrelevant to my level of pleasure. So, you, know, <laughs> we, you know, it's like this is a nice thing for the two of us to do, but I could just as easily go in my room and get the same level of pleasure by myself. That I, is the I, thing I, that is never acknowledged in films it. ever to be like, yeah, don't necessarily need him. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think the only the only film I've ever really seen that explicitly stated in is Pleasantville. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who yeah. needs William H Macy when you have baths? Well, indeed. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, I think there was the was it the Guardian review, and and this is I know a lot of people have said this comment was taken out of context, but the uh, the reviewer apparently said that that scene um, was confusing because of, <laughs> of what she said about men being necessary for procreation but not for pleasure. And there's just all these retweets of women going that that that's not confusing at all. No, no. And I think like I think that was important setup for why that that sex scene was so downplayed is because it's like it's not this big earth shattering thing to her because the implication is, eh, you know, she's she's already aware of pleasure being a thing. You know, she she doesn't need him to swoop into her life and make that revelation. She's already aware of it. Indeed. It's just a, a nice thing that happened. Is that the only other sex scene in a DC superhero movie apart from the yeah. one that's vaguely implied in the Donner... No, wait. The Lester cut of Superman 2 and then the one in Batman The Dark, well, the Dark Knight Rises where he beds um, Talia. Oh, there's a lot of sex in the, in the, the, the mm. four Batman movies. Uh, there, there's, there's, there's a lot in there. I can't remember a single time when he's actually like Chase Meridian is all over him like a bat suit. <laughs> how did he not? How was there no sex scene? No, Mike, Michael Keaton goes to bed with that Kim Basinger after their uh, first date. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Does, right. does he ever close the deal with Selena Kyle? <sighs> no, she leaves too early. Right. Yeah, they, they get hot and heavy. She licks his face. So, <laughs> it's symbolic. That's close enough. Yeah, Batman Returns is so sleazy, sex would be beside the point. That's, that's very true, actually. I'll show him my French flipper trick. <laughs> Sorry. Ew. Sorry. Sorry. Um, I would not like to see video of that. Right, so. Please slow down. That's Diana. your leader? How could he say that? Believe that? And, and you, with your duty to simply give them a book, you didn't stand your ground, you didn't fight. Because there was no chance of changing his mind. This is Ares, and he's not going to allow a negotiation or a surrender. The millions of people you talked about, they will die. We are going anyway. You mean you were lying? I'm a spy, that's what I do. How do I know you're not lying to me right now? I am taking you to the front. We are probably going to die. This is a terrible idea. We're going to need reinforcements. 
the Steve Trevor thing boils down to um, it feels like it's it's really it's it's simple to say. See, guys, it's not that hard to be a stand-up guy, but it is that hard. It's it it's tough. It takes a lot of dedication to you know you 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 once you're in the mindset of not being you know all just about you, it then becomes easier. But the, it it requires dedication, and even though it is hard work. It's the right thing to do, which is undebatable. It, it also requires honesty and being willing to accept the fact that there is not a right answer, a win state that you are trying to achieve. Thank you. Mm. I hope this is the thing of the industry figuring out what to do with Chris Pine. <laughs> <laughs> and now they can't use him anymore. It's tragic. Well, it's, you know, at, at the very least, maybe they'll get this like, oh, hey, maybe we should let this guy just be charming and not continually try he's another one of these guys like james marston and channing tatum who showed up and looked conventionally handsome so they said oh hey you're a leading man and just plugged him into all these various roles and they suck and then they say oh and then they let them do a comedy and then it's like oh hey wait yeah this is what you should be doing yeah, it's it's nice to see that he can do quiet subtle tenderness as as a a trait when he's acting yeah also, side note, when he was um, speaking German to uh, Dr. Poison, he sounded like Armin Müller-Stahl. He's so... Uh, it was scarily authentic, and it was like, right, okay, so you've really studied the... the, the you know, you've got a great dialogue coach here, to, uh, and he is convincing as a spy, as, you know, th- that mm. one scene. I was like, okay, I actually buy it. Steve Trevor sneaks behind Emily... En- Emily Lines. She's a lovely <laughs> lady. Um, sneaks behind enemy lines... And uh, impersonates someone else to obtain information. It it uh, it sold him as not only a professional but an adult, which is mm. tough with someone you've seen basically being just a sort of rowdy teenager so mm. often. Yeah. Fans of my fifth book, The Princess Thieves, may have found many of the elements of play in Wonder Woman eerily familiar, uh, especially considering what we were talking about just now. Uh, one of the reasons I love this film so much was that it is so in line with the hero and support role that I gave to my female and male lead characters, respectively, and the journey they take to get there. Here's a clip. They emerged into a quiet courtyard, into which shafts of sunlight shone through the thick canopy of a glade of trees, arrayed within its stone walls. The air hung with tiny, glowing, orange motes of dust, and before them, Not twenty yards away, up at the top of a flight of steps, with a sunbeam drenching it, stood the sword. It was wound with ivy, its blade dull and corroded, its handle faded gold. At the base of the blade, just above the hilt, a blackened sphere was inset. Below these were symbols not unlike hieroglyphics. It was, just as Gwen had been told as a child, firmly driven into a stone tablet, the side of which was engraved with more words in that same unfamiliar language. Gwendolyn glanced at her companions and gingerly climbed the steps to stand behind the sword. She flexed her fingers and reached out her hand, grasping the hilt. In a breathtaking flash... Absolutely bugger all happened. Gwen grunted a few times and pulled until her arm hurt, before angrily giving up. 
<sighs> I'll sort it. I thought that would work. Maybe if you come back when you're a queen. I don't see why that would make any difference. All the legends say Arthur was just a stable boy when he pulled the sword out. See, it knows if you're the right, worthy person. You think it's to do with value? <sighs> I'm being judged by a sword. For what it's worth, Gwendolyn, I believed you could draw it out. Thank you, Robin. Old Meg, who had been watching the struggle in subsequent deliberation, stepped forward and spoke to the princess her grey eyes piercing through the layers of defeat and doubt. The worst people who came here trying to pull it out all had one thing in common. I've seen them come and go, and most of them were not happy with the immense power they already had, and came looking for more. Apparently the world owes them success. That fallen tree there was hacked down in a peak of frustration by a chap named Edgar of Glendale. He's dead now. And the best of them? The best of them come looking only to protect those weaker than they. It breaks my heart to see the look of hope in their eyes, to hold my breath along with them, and believe just for a moment that they will be the one who can solve the riddle of the sword. When they fail, as everyone does, it hits them far harder than the first lot I told you about. The self-entitled lash out at a world that won't give them everything their little hearts desire. Selfless have nowhere to look but within. Nobody to blame but themselves. Gwen glanced down to Robin at the foot of the steps and realized who old Meg was talking about. That look on his face she had not been able to place earlier might just have been a potent mixture of envy and admiration. That new and unusual squeeze on her heart grew tighter as she looked at him. The complete eight-and-a-half-hour audiobook of The Princess Thieves, written and produced by me, Alexander Shaw, accompanied by a cast of wonderful voice actors, is available on Bandcamp now, priced $12. If you loved Wonder Woman, I'm going to bet you'll love this. We can't not mention Connie Nelson and Robin Wright. So many people are going, that was Robin Wright. I did, it got all the way to the end and I was I was thinking, Antio, she looks really familiar, I'm sure I know her, it but I can't so place It was so obvious to me, I was like, Robin Wright, okay, so that's Robin Wright. Like, it, like no, I mean... Uh, like, not I, until I, I saw her name in the credits. That's how long it's been since you've seen Robin Wright. <sighs> no, I, we... Um... Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, I've just I've just looked up pictures, I'm like, You're, you are very right, I didn't... You didn't, I didn't figure it out till now? That's, no, that's apparently how... not. But no, well, you... I'm... Yeah. I'm very glad she was in it, and she needs to be in the next Mad Max. Yeah, um, she did a very good job. To be fair, the two things I love her best in, in one, she's animated, and in the other one, she's about 22. Yeah. <laughs> she and, and Connie Nelson, just the, the, this fantastic bearing. And I love the fact that just all of the Amazons... They got athletes, didn't they? Rather than just getting, um, I hate to say models, because obviously Gal Gadot started as a model, but like, rather than just getting pretty girls, they got in girls who really could do this Although stuff. it's worth noting that a couple of them were models and athletes. Whoa. Mm. Double well, that, threat. That's fine, because the thing was, like, they all had the right build. They yeah. all looked like they could convincingly, like, you know, snap someone in half. And I'm Absolutely. like, okay, that's, that's good for your tribe of Ar- Amazon warrior people 
But particularly as well, they didn't all have the same build. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Different they shapes. Different shaped different women. Colours. Different colours of women. Yeah. Different clothing yeah. styles I, of women. I, I'm so glad you mentioned that it's different colours of people as well, considering that because it's a small, isolated island trapped inside a magic yeah. bubble, it would have been so easy to be, nope, they are all of one indistinct race, but it's like, no. Yeah. They're all it, blondes. Yeah. It, it was nice to be like, no, there is actual diversity of type. Uh, like body type and color and mm. just an age, it was good. I'm so, I'm so okay. happy. Sorry, I keep getting very excited about this film. It was very good. <laughs> I could have. It just with... says we don't, we don't get enough of this. Yeah. I could have done with more of the Amazons, to be honest. Mm. That was mm. a little quick. Yeah, it's a it's a long film, but uh, yeah, like ten ten more minutes on that side. Ten. Di- Diana jumped from being um, like twelve to being fifteen really quick. And, she, and then, and then from fifteen, immediately jumped up to like. No, no, no. She went from eight to, eight 12, to twelve to to Galgadot. Yeah, um, I, which is a trajectory any woman would would be <laughs> impressed with. Personally, I, I I was okay with the amount of time spent there, considering quite how much ground they covered in the film. Like, I think that from my perspective, they did a very good job of doing origin story mm. and like and then a three act structure film after the origin story. I was okay with the amount of time spent pacing-wise in that initial setting. I can see why some people would want more, but Mm. I was okay because it kept up a nice snappy pacing and it didn't linger on its origin too much. Gal Gadot fighting. Originally, I was like, oh, she's so thin and willowy. How are they going to make her seem super powerful? Yeah, totally convinced. Totally. Within mere minutes, I was like, yeah, she could kick my head clean off my body. (laughs) Easily. And you mentioned, Sharon, about the action scenes? Um, Yeah, specifically the way that the camera worked with the action scenes. um, I'm so used to seeing female action directed Mm -hmm. in a way where it's, it's about... Gorping. It's about looking at them. How fantastic and elegant and delicate. Or, it's supposed or to make you go. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's all about um, look. And this was totally about doing. It was about making the audience feel her doing these things rather than mm. simply looking at her doing it, these things. If you can, yeah, if there the is a distinction. Makes sense. It, it was speed and impact and quick shot cuts as opposed to we're going to do a lingering pan across the body and chest surrounding while she does things oops panny shot yeah um, the the idea of michael bay's wonder woman <laughs> the difference in approach was refreshing to say Wait, the, 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 the subtle difference between Whoa, look at her she's so sexy yeah. she's kicking ass and Jesus this is a force of nature at work here absolutely I mean the, the obvious comparison is um, if you look at the way um, Black Widow's introduced in her first big yeah. fight scene in um, Iron Man mm. 2 yeah it's all about wow she looks awesome while she's doing this with Wonder Woman specifically and this was this came across a lot in the No Man's Land scene because there was a lot of uh, slow-mo for that to actually zoom in and hone in on specific frames of her looking in a certain way it's not so much look at her doesn't she look sexy it's look she looks magnificent Mm. Mm. and I think you can really tell that this film was that, that it was handled by a female director in how little of the male gaze there is in terms of the way that the camera frames certain things and which things it lingers on. 
Um, there's a there's a really brief moment very early on that stood out as oddly significant to me, and it was um, when young Diana is sort of watching the the older Amazons fighting. Mm-hmm. There's someone who does like a backflip or something to that effect, and in any other action film like that, it would linger on the fact that oh, woman in a skirt doing a backflip. There's a, there's, a, there's an there's a crotch shot. There was a flash of like of underwear, but it was just very functional and it very quickly went and it wasn't the framed thing in a shot and it was over. And like the things like that are like okay, this is a reality of fighting in a skirt, but also it's just not the framed thing in shot. And the fact that they were able to do that without it being the thing that they were showing is weird. Like, that again, that shouldn't be so rare. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But it, it really emphasised that, okay, this is how you ought to be doing action because it looked really phenomenally good. Yeah. The No Man's Land sequence in particular is going to be one that people really focus on. A, because it's the first time she sheds the uh, uh, the cloak and then comes out in the full uh, armor, full costume. Um, but B, she's uncer- there's so much going on during that scene. She's uncertain. She knows that she's got to do something. She doesn't know if she's going to survive it, but she can't just stand by anymore. And that's the... Um, I don't want to start comparing it to other films. I just her bearing down on the machine gun nest and then readying her shield and basically just like holding this back as best she can while um, the rest of the squad start to move in to give them a tiny fighting chance. That's wonderfully symbolic. I'm more partial to the business with the lariat because that's that's, mm. what, I was, that's what I was waiting for. But uh, yeah, the the no man's land business is that that's the scene I think people are, are going to walk away from going, wow, that's really. And I mean, they're part of the same scene too. I mean, that's a that's a long stretch of action. You know, that goes through a really big, you know, blocking bullets business and then goes right into a storming the village and it's like, oh, we're fighting more guys now. Oh, okay, wow, I thought we were done. That did make me think, actually, that the way I felt when that was going on, um, it it popped into my head. Is this how guys feel when they see, like, the whole power fantasy setup and Superman flips Batman and it's all like, hey, yeah. I didn't feel that when Superman flipped Batman at all. (laughs) I I was just like, oh, stop it, he's already dead. (laughs) 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 Um, No, but when, like, I feel much the way you feel when, um, Steve gets up and puts his shield behind his back and mm. like that. Mm. It's it, you know it, this is irrespective of gender, but the fact that we so rarely get to see a woman doing it in a way that's not sexualized, in a way that's uh, just that has that female power when it's not specifically for men. Mm. Mm. But it's it's also not, I don't think, excluding of men. Yeah. The 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 whole. I mean. Basically, if we haven't even women... mentioned those female women-only screenings. Jesus, <laughs> you want to be we'll on the wrong side that. of history? Complain about this. <laughs> but but ultimately, for for the longest time, if women wanted to um, identify with with hero characters, they had to kind of sidestep themselves a little bit and go, okay, well, this, you know, it might not necessarily be quite like me, but mm. I can see myself in this this person, mm. and 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 I can I can do that. I can recognise myself as a central character just because I'm not necessarily the same shape Um, but I think if they're willing to 
it is entirely possible for men and boys to be able to do this with with Wonder mm. Woman. You know, it, I, it's oh yeah, I love her. Yeah. Totally identify with her. I, I I think a big part of the difference in um, relating to uh, action heroes of the opposite gender is is market saturation. In that a lot of a lot of um, girls and women grow up having to identify with male heroes because that's all there aren't female heroes there for them to relate to in that same way whereas a lot of boys and men grow up not relating to female heroes or feeling like they can't relate to female heroes because they never have to because they have a lot of male heroes already on hand who are more obvious people for them to relate to and that difference in saturation does create this weird crossover of needing to learn to relate to people uh, to characters that are slightly different versus not ever needing to and it's just nice to not have to make that leap to be like no this is someone more similar to me that I can look at as yeah, an aspirational I, person but I do think any any guy who looks at this movie or looks at, at you know that scene since we're focusing on that scene mm. and and thinks but where am i in this picture you know how do i fit into it? you you fit in wherever you want to you can be steve bringing up the rear and, and providing covering fire if you want to be you can be diana storming into the the oncoming german bullets if that's where you want to be yeah. you choose you decide i love the trade-off between she supports them at the beginning of the fight they support her at the end of the fight when yeah. she finishes it off the mm. church tower absolutely yeah. um i actually think thinking about it and what we've been saying that charlie's angels in drew barrymore's head was trying to yeah. do this yeah, yeah. but yeah. the execution was so stupid just so riven with mistakes and it's so mismanaged that it's set this progress back and every time they've attempted it it's been so mishandled and mismanaged they've like more than anything else with these female fronted projects they grab them and like try to twist them into something marketable Pitov's Catwoman for example mm. like you can sort of see that somewhere in there they're trying to empower women and tie them up with cats but everything about that movie is ludicrous <clears throat> it's amusing to watch, but it, it's like I say, these like the fact that these get pointed to, and they say, "Well, that's why women don't work in, uh, you know, as, as as heroes." No, that's why women don't work as heroes in bad movies. Well, also, the first Charlie's Angels was a gigantic hit, though. Yeah, like that was. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I I, I almost, it's a different podcast, but I, I I would defend that as actually a pretty good movie overall. Oh. But, like the the sequel is garbage, but you know that one it has it as the the three female leads are very interesting. It's uh, they make fun of the sexy Bond girl thing a lot. There's a fantastic villain turn by Sam Rockwell. Mm. It's uh, they've all got flaws, which is nice and endearing. Yeah, I it's 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 a. Uh, I don't know, that's a different podcast, but I would. But like, it's yeah. There has. I kind of want to do it now. <laughs> You've thrown down the gauntlet. I don't even really want to fight you on it. I just want to do a sort of in defense of Charlie's Angels. <laughs> the, the second one is trash, though. The, the, okay. The second. One I have difficulty. Like, it's been so long since I saw them. I just ugh. and yeah. And McG has never made a good thing since that. But uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, McGee, director of This Means War, tying it all back. Yeah. That was the uh, Chris Pine um, wiretapping comedy. So, yeah. Um, the director of Man of Steel. 
Oh God, yeah, he was he, he was uh, up there along with J.J. Uh, Abrams was was like wrote flyby and might have directed at one point. Right, yeah, it it yeah. mainly fell apart because they had they would have had to shoot it in Australia and McGee mm. did not want to go to Australia. All right. Oh. We'll talk about George Miller's Justice League almost <laughs> <laughs> when we do Justice League in a few months' time. But yeah. man. Okay, in a, in an alternate universe, the Justice League films are still going strong from there. Speaking of alternates, by the way, I'm glad we got this instead of Joss Whedon's Wonder Woman. You are? Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because yeah. just purely on the basis of, you know, I've seen what Joss Whedon can do, and it's great, it's fantastic, I love it. But Avengers. Joss Whedon's Wonder Woman films. then could have kicked off a whole new DC universe. Mm. Yeah. Possibly, but Joss Whedon makes very Joss Whedon films. I'm glad we got to see a film that surprised me. That, that, I think this is better than what Joss Whedon could have done. I, yeah, yeah. I didn't know what to expect here, and I was very positively surprised. And I say so, that as a man yeah. for whom Avengers and Serenity at the very tippity top of my most beloved. Oh, yeah, films no, I, I love Joss Whedon stuff, but I'm glad we got to see someone else take a swing at this. Yeah. And we'll get we're getting his Batgirl movie in like a year or two. So yeah, yeah. Mm. looking forward to yeah. that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay, right. One thing that you scared me, Bob, a couple of uh, weeks ago when you were doing, it might have even been months ago, where you, do, you did a Wonder Woman film and you were pointing at Danny Houston and going, uh-huh, he looks a little bit Aryan. Uh, or specifically, like, the, he, the, the red herring uh, of uh, this guy might be Ares, um, or at least the idea of, are they going to mess with Wonder Woman's origin? Originally, she was de Golem. She was, like, um, made out of sand and then given life by Zeus. Uh, and you were speculating in an entirely believable, relatable, this could actually happen, and in a bad version of this film it did. Um, you can't be my father, you represent everything I hate. <laughs> Sudden final real reveal where the, the bad guy goes, oh no, I came to the island that one time, and I totally raped my way around it, and then you're the, the result of that, thus making uh, um, her the, the daughter of this terrible, terrible villain, which would have been bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I was I was I was wrong about that. I'm not I have a few broad criticisms of the movie and I'm not nuts that they went with the uh what has been like the revised origin which is only yeah, a decade old which is that she's actually like the however this term works when you're talking about deities she's the biological daughter of Zeus as opposed to mm. having been given life by uh, it was Aphrodite in the original comics it was yeah. very important to William Moulton Marston that she literally that does not have a, a, a male father yeah. but mm. uh, you know it's it, it, it in some ways I think it makes her more conventional to say it's like oh you know it's just this is you know Perseus but a woman you know this is every mm. every or Hercules but a woman it's every other you know, Greek mythology deity's origin is, surprise, actually Zeus. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> I, as someone who's not incredibly up-to-date on Wonder Woman lore in the comics, it was nice to see them use a misdirection of, oh, they're mentioning the whole made of clay thing. I, I remember mm. hearing that. Oh, I guess they're doing that thing from the comics that I've heard is a thing. Yeah. And then to later be like, no, that's not the case. It was a nice little bit, bit of redirection for someone who is aware enough of the Wonder Woman comics to be aware of that as an origin story that at some point existed, but to then, because of that, be surprised when that wasn't the case. But my worry and the reason I went the prediction was my, from the trailers, once they started doing the origin trailers where they were talking about how she can't know about her real origin, yeah, is this yeah. like, 
my thought was, oh, okay, this is because like if if this was a character that hadn't existed before, this would be where you would go with that. It's like, oh, okay, if the whole thing is going to be about her understanding that there's duplicity and, and different levels mm-hmm. and stuff, the reveal is going to be that no, actually, you're 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 like the goddess of war. Morals yeah. would have been, and I'm glad they it, like it. It's a sensible way to go, but I'm glad it didn't go there just because it's it's tacky. I, I almost would have been okay with it if it had been a arrangement um, between Ares and Hippolyta as opposed... Like, if she was the product of rape, I think that would have been incredibly yeah, tone deaf. Mm. That that would have been, tw- like, deliberately twisting um, a, a fairly beautiful piece of mythology. Um, I don't so much mind her being effectively f- female Greek Jesus or Thor. <laughs> um, we can live with that. Well, like yeah. I said to you, it, it, like her mother told her, I made you out of clay yeah. and, Zeus and Zeus imbued you with clay. life. Well, they did um, it in a certain way. With, you know, certain parts of his anatomy, yeah. but hey, <laughs> the rest of it kind of still stands. Yeah. yeah. The, the only side drawback of that is that, unfortunately, I was like, well, we never actually got to see Zeus, so he's probably Liam Neeson from Clash of the Titans, which <laughs> means he's also Rachel Ghoul, and I don't even know how that fits into the Batman mythology. <laughs> How do we we work all that in? It's possible we'll see this in the other movies since they seem to be leaning on this pretty hard as, you know, part part of the uh, the Justice League setup and and whatnot. Yeah, it's it's also that beginning. It's a really great way of setting up the League themselves as to be this new pantheon. It's like the old gods failed in what they were doing. These new gods are going to basically try to fix all of the mess that has occurred in the years since. I kind of like that. Oh, hey, new gods! Look at that. Aha. Um, but, okay, but to, to tie it thus back to um, uh, the real Ares, and obviously Danny Houston you know, does a serviceable enough job as a, as a misdirection, it would still have been fine had he been Ares, but I like the fact that he wasn't. Hmm. I googled Wonder Woman many times in the run-up, uh, and I just looked down the list at who was playing whom, and it was like David Thewlis as Ares, and I was like, you <clears throat> I assume this is going to be a hidden character that has another name. You might have wanted to credit him as that other name. But watching the actual film, knowing that he was uh, Ares, I was like, this is fine, actually. You know, it's like just, it it allowed me to sort of like second viewing it the first time and sort of like watch his shifty eyes. I'm Um, I'm so personally glad I barely watched any trailers or did any research on this before going into it. Yeah. I don't think that the the reveals were necessarily um, particularly hidden. There was there was nothing that massively took me by surprise. Mm. Um, I I guessed the David Thewlis thing, but I by the end of it, they'd actually kind of back and forwarded with it enough that mm. I wasn't completely sure that that's the way that they were going to go. Um, I did at one point think Ares might turn out to be Doctor Maru. Yeah. Mm. Um, which would have been pretty cool. Um, and the idea of Diana being the god killer seemed pretty obvious from fairly early on. That... It, it never felt like any of that was um, was because it would be, had been badly handled or anything. It just felt like it wasn't necessarily meant to be this big secret. Uh, mm. Diana yes. being the god killer is the one that I came out at the end being like, I personally felt like that was meant to be some big surprising reveal at the end. And I was like, the second mm. you mentioned, like, we can't let you know what you are... God killer was mentioned. Okay, you're the God killer, not the weapon. Like that, yeah. that felt really transparent and yeah, like the, it was supposed to have been a reveal. 
yeah, the, the, this this is where I think a little more time with the Amazons would have would would have uh, yeah. it because we basically find out you know the Amazons are protecting a weapon that kills gods and you're the only you know young girl on the island and everyone is really invested in you either learning to fight or not learning to fight and it's it's too close together to not go oh well this is the same thing yeah I I do really love the way she finds out though she takes. The sword, the symbol of the patriarchy, the symbol of like all of Arthurian legends since pr- like pre-Christian times, the you know this big pointy thing that imbues the hero with his power and his ability to kill Grendel and his ability to kill the dragon, and she slams it into his hand. He's like, "Shatter! This ain't nothing." And it's put down that particular artifact. It's gonna have to come from inside you. I loved that. You think to some degree, like, I watched that destruction of the sword and all that was going through my head is the Thor Ragnarok trailer with the uh, <laughs> catching of the hammer and it yeah. being destroyed. I was like, time-wise, you had to have done this first, but mm-hmm. it's still, I couldn't not think of that while watching it. Immigrant song would not have been totally out of place in the background. <laughs> Although, also, you know, she could have, like, listened and then heard Yogurt going, Forget the sword! The sword is Bobkiss! I got it from a crackerjack box! (laughs) But, the fact that the final battle, first of all, Diana was already being tested uh, with, Why am I doing this? And the fact that the final battle was not a punching contest, it was spectacular, but it was a battle for Diana's soul. And the fact that what Ares was saying, and for how bad and how low things had gotten, really had a weight to them. The mm. you know, it's really hard to look at the Great War and not think, fuck, all of this. Mm. It is really hard not to side with Ares at that point, and that is the best kind of nemesis. Like we never really got any time with Ares. All he really was was this philosophy: mankind is fucked. Why bother? Mm. And that is, I mean, that is what everyone is fighting against right now. We need to be able to pull ourselves up from the dirt. Mm, This is going to kill me. We need to be able to pull ourselves up from the dirt and keep going. And this kind of movie is the sort of thing that gives us the strength that we need. It's exactly what we need right now by coincidence or by you know design it has come out at a time when we very much need to not think the worst of humanity and believe that if we push through you know we can get to a point where certain things will pass and things will get better because things might seem quite dark right now but you know they're going to improve we just got to be you just got to believe in the goodness of people and push through absolutely and if you if you can do it with love then mm. the love will still be there when it does pass. Yeah. Everything about the the final battle business is my least favorite part of the movie, but the the symbology, like the the meaning behind it, works very well. Mm. The the execution, I I don't love. It kind of turns back into the other movies at that point. But uh, and you know, it's it's another one of these. Like I get the. It's really tough to execute. To, to do this is why so many superhero movies have the problem of we have to do the origin and a character arc and some kind of business with a bad guy in one movie 
because you spend like ha- like her origin is pretty much over by the middle of the movie, and then you've got they've got about like forty five minutes to sprint to the bad guy, and they also want a twist in there. So it's like I, I, I almost I, I wish that there was some other alternate version of this where the oh actually now I'm disillusioned about humanity happens like in the middle of the movie. Yeah. So, but because it's an origin, the middle of the movie is where the debut of all the cool stuff Wonder Woman can do has to go. So, like, it works fine, but it's it's the same thing as, like, the first Spider-Man, where you get the whole movie of, okay, now I'm Spider-Man, and then a bad guy shows up, and then, you know, 20 minutes from the ending, you know, the bad guy makes him feel bad about himself, and then you've got five minutes to fight the bad guy on the bridge there. It's it's like her, her entire character arc of, I'm of I am very sure of what I need to do. Oh no, I'm completely disillusioned and everything I know is a lie is over in like five minutes. And I it works, she sells it, but it's like structurally I wish that it wasn't, you know, end of arc, reveal, twist bad guy, new bad guy, big fight end. It's structurally I, I have an issue with that, but the meaning there really sells it. Like the whole like on its mm-hmm. own as a little you know, like a one-act play of this is my philosophy. Well, this is mine. Stab is work. It, it, it lands for me. It lands. I get the comparison you made to Spider-Man, but I think it does a disservice to Wonder Woman quite considerably. I think that while on paper there are definitely things that had this been done in a different way, where this was maybe separated out and wasn't a single movie, might have had more room to breathe. Had sections of this had been given more time. But considering the sort of lagging behind that DC are doing in terms of trying to put together their connected universe Mm, and the uphill battle they have of trying to get a lot of ground covered before Justice League happens so that Justice League can have some impact, I think that they did a remarkably good job of, in one film, getting all of those things covered. And I'm glad that rather than having... Wonder Woman origin story and then separately Wonder Woman adventure into, you know, like the 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 two the two thirds of this film that weren't origin story, I suppose. I'm glad that we got it all as one film because for me it meant that everything was very snappy in pacing. That it was very sort of it it's impressive to me that they were able to go so quickly point to point to point progression from character introduction and origin right through to defeating big bad while still having time to take things slow and have like the three or four minute conversation on the boat and things like that it Mm. it was simultaneously fast paced but not rushed and to me that's impressive and i don't have a problem with that if it comes back to um, comparing it to other films, uh, at the end, I, I'm going to go back to the whole idea of the hero's philosophy being challenged, because that is a huge deal mm. for me. Um, at the end of First Avenger, the, the most obvious comparison, uh, Steve's philosophy is not put to the test at all. There's no point where Red Skull goes, we are not so different, you and I, join me, and we can take over the world in any way that allows you to go, wow, Steve's actually really might do this he has been so disillusioned by xyz that all comes later in in later captain america stuff where steve is brought low civil war chris does some fantastic stuff um Mm. 
But, and Winter Soldier. And Winter Soldier, yes. So Steve is not really put to the test philosophically at the end of First Avenger. He just gets to do the thing he's always wanted, which is to die for his country in the most heroic way possible, to save mm. as many people as possible. And it's tragic watching that happen, but uh, it's not... <laughs> Dying is easy, young man. Living is hard. Mm. Um, the And Thor, the other one that it compares to, Thor has been a little brat at the beginning of the movie and then slowly learning throughout the movie to be less selfish until the point where the destroyer turns up and to protect people who cannot protect themselves he steps out in front of it you know i i, I don't and I, I don't disagree with that but i think what's what what is missed there with respect is that thor does come to the oh everything that i thought i needed to do here is wrong exactly in the middle of the movie because for the first half of that it's i need my hammer back i need my hammer back <laughs> and he gets to the hammer and he tries to take it out and he's like oh i can't take it why and that's the first moment where he's like oh wow i really did fuck this up and then he goes through about another i want to say 40 minutes of that movie is thor trying just you know okay i guess i'm on earth now i'll be a better person and then organically... Oh, it's, it's less than 40. It's, mu it's much more like like 10 minutes worth of... They even took a, a bit where he returns a new mug to that um, right. uh, cafe where he was like, another crack! Um, he's uh, learning to be nice yeah. in little ways, you know? Well, he also... But, well, he, he goes out and has the other uh, drink with Stone Scar. Selvig. Selvig. So, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. There, so there's that whole bit of business. It's like, I, I don't know that I have the time to put it like structurally, you know, the... I'm uh, the the... The all is lost moment is is dead center there, where you generally put the all is lost moment in in these things, and then he becomes a better guy, sacrifices himself to the to the destroyer, and then the hammer comes back, and then we're off to the races for the the big punchy punch. The punching contest, yeah. Because <laughs> again, after that hat moment, there's nothing Loki can say that's going to make Thor falter. Right. That, that, like Loki's just like, brother, you would screw up all of my plans. And, yes, frankly. Yeah, um, and you know, there's the the sad moment where Loki lets go at the end. But in, with Wonder Woman, there, the it begins in the um, as she meets, gets to the front. Yeah, and then it just slowly gathers up to the the real drop of the mustard gas. Her response to that is a sort of a protective rage, like she mm. like it's not just I must avenge these people. It's like no more, no more. I need to die on my watch. I've got to do something about this. She's so certain that she knows what she's supposed to do, and then she has the rug yanked out from under her. Yeah, but the the sense of it's it's what Ares uh, says to her about you know it's, it's you know I I only set the stage Kevin you pull your own strings. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty much word for word what he said. Well, that's exactly uh, where if this wasn't an, an also an origin movie, that's where the the all is lost moment would go. Would yeah. be like so there there is an all is lost moment here, but in this case, what's lost is oh, okay. She's she's given up trying to do things Steve's way now. Now she's just gonna mm. she's back on. I'm gonna like that's that's the breakup for them. You know the, mm. the structure that they're going for is okay. They had their romantic moment. This is working out. They're working as a team, and then no, we've got to do this my way. His way doesn't work in a pretty disastrous way, and then she runs off to do it hers, and then she gets a second all his last moment where it's like, hey, you were wrong too, and then two minutes go by, and then end of the movie. 
I think it probably has the most impact because Diana is relatively new. Well, she's new to the Earth, so she hasn't had a chance to have years worth of experience of humans doing nice things for each other, of little things. And just she hasn't spent two years working with Medicine Sans Frontier, you know. Which, if anyone's ever disillusioned about mankind, go do that. That will reaffirm your faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very much a dark father uh, saying to a, a naive child, "Look, you might you have all these ideals about the world, but it's fucked." You, you know what film did this better than Wonder Woman very oh, recently? Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Bingo. <laughs> I think I think a lot of what this was trying to do and did relatively effectively given the time it had to do it, it it was done by God. It, it's that same whole thing of we are we are gods. Humanity is not worth saving. We should be doing something bigger and better, and we shouldn't be putting that off because of humans. Because humans are really not worth saving, mm. and the conflict of maybe, maybe, maybe no, I'm not going to do that is given a lot more breathing room in Guardians 2. <laughs> it is given more breathing room, but I never thought Peter would go for it. There were times in Wonder Woman I actually thought that maybe, because we don't see her again till Batman v Superman, that the end might just be that Diana goes, you're right. Fuck well, humanity. Well, and goes back to Themyscira the with thing, her head low. The, the First World War does end, so yeah. I did not at any point buy that she would do it. Because <laughs> World War One at some point ends. Well, that's the thing. Like She could just walk <laughs> away and, and the ending could have been, you humans figured out your war for yourself, but I would have no more part in it for 100 years. Yeah. And then... That I thought I was worried that it was going to end on a massive downer that she realizes humanity's fucked and it takes her like meeting Superman and Batman to realize you know what I could do something but it would appear that the twist is she's been here all along you, you know what I you know what I thought the ending was going to be and I don't know whether I would have been okay with or not mm-hmm. I initially thought the ending was just going to be the person you killed wasn't uh, Ares War is still ongoing. Sure, you killed one bad person at the top of war, but war still goes on. And you can't stop this war just by killing, like, going and killing the bad person. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of did do that. They, they, They made it clear that it's not just about killing one guy. Yeah, but then they did very quickly kill one guy who was there. And then the war. (laughs) (laughs) The soldiers hugged each other. Like, had, had she killed Ares and the war had still kind of gone on around her, that would have... I'd have been happier with that. But that it would have was, meant that Ares was right. It, but then, Oh god, they're like damned if they do, damned if they don't. Yeah. It felt like it somewhat underwrote their own point when it's like, oh, you can't just kill one person and stop a war, except you can just kill this one person and everyone will hug each other. But if you think about the fact that it was Ares himself who set up the um, the armistice right. with the intention that he was then going to whisper poison in everybody's ears to make mm. sure that the armistice failed, him then being dead and not being able to do that yeah. is actually like the wheels were already turning to also, get the in place. Also, there were other wars between 1914 yes. and Batman v <laughs> Superman, which suggests that Ares was Ares was setting a stage, kid, yeah. but not but, uh, but not actually. She could have ended up with like a 100 year mission, like you you 
that wasn't Ares. You've now got to go off and oh kill every bad person you find oh until you get oh Ares. Oh, was that like <laughs> might have been okay with that? <laughs> Leaping from life to life to stab <laughs> bastard after bastard. Yes. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Um, any any more bits that will? Uh, any sorry. Any more Laura to to add to that because I don't want to cut you off there. No, no, no. I think I I got cool. my point. <laughs> okay. Any more bits that were particularly delightful about this film? Because we've just had a really great podcast. <laughs> I got a couple, but I want to see what you guys got. I'm really glad that the the continuity tie-ins were at the bare minimum. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, they're there. Like, uh, someone pointed out that uh, I think Poseidon is holding Aquaman's trident in the... Uh, in the the painting business at the beginning, which is oh nice, yeah, you know, which is appropriate. I don't know if that means that they're half siblings now. Oh god, yeah. Maybe. I think that could be where they go. It yeah. seems I'm getting the sense that the very light allusion in this to the uh, the Greek pantheon being the precursors to the Justice League is going to be something that the Justice League movie hits like a gong every five minutes. Yeah. You know, that might even be a reason to have Wonder Woman there to point, you know, I mean, and it's not like this would be originating in the movies. This was Grant Morrison's business when he reconstituted yeah, Justice yeah. League in the yeah, 90s nice. was, no, Superman is Zeus, Batman is Ares, Wonder Woman is Athena, the Flash is Mercury. It was a very deliberate thing, and uh, I can only imagine, I mean, because that sounds like the sort of thing that would, that if, like, if I was trying to get Zack Snyder to do a Justice League movie, that's the movie I'd pitch him. Was you're, you're, you're actually making you know a, a Greek pantheon tragedy with uh, with with these superhero characters? So I imagine that's going to get hit more. But like when when it turns out that the bad guy is is you know a twist, I'm glad that the twist is not also I am Ares, but actually Ares is Steppenwolf or whoever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that we didn't. Cue magic doubt carpet that ride. Dark side was behind World War One or something. Also, yeah, all respect to Zack Snyder and the terrible shit he's had to go through, going back is going to be hard. Going back to Justice League and the mm. the, the Snyder version of things, I'm going to feel like, no, we had it, and now it's backsliding. I can, it's got to be better than Batman v Superman, purely because Wonder Woman's in it a lot more. The Flash will be fun. Well, whatever it's even going to even be now, because now there's the question of, okay, we know that this movie was delayed a bunch of times in the making, or, you know, what everyone assumed was, oh, this is a chaotic production and they're having trouble. No, now, no, it turns out the director really needs some time. You know, so we, we know, we don't really know, like, inside baseball stuff here, when a director announces that they're stepping back from the post-production of a movie and we find out that the reason they're stepping back is something that happened three months ago and then the next guy who comes in and says i will step up and take this over and it's a really major name who is already making something else for the studio this is something that what all of this stuff about justice league that we're finding out now happened like six months ago at the yeah. minimum it's a key change because jo- joss is not only making something else uh, for the the same studio he has a markedly 
different directorial approach to Zack Snyder. Yeah, and who, that, that is a completely different type of film. And it, it, it feels gauche to talk about this at this stage, but it's going yeah, let's, to be... Yeah, let's minimize that. It, it's going to be something when this movie is out to look at and say, okay, how much of this movie was directed by Joss mm-hmm. Whedon? How much was directed by Zack Snyder? How many fingers have been in the pie in the mm-hmm. editing to create whatever ultimately comes out since this has apparently been re-edited a bunch of times. So who knows what movie we're actually going to get. This could be like one of those Robert Rodriguez things where there's an entirely different cut of the movie because he just shoots scenes and plugs them together. After It's going to be probably a mess, but a fascinating one. What other cut of the movie did Robert... Did he do another version of Shark Boy and Lava Girl? Uh, not so much, no, but like um, Machete, for example, the, uh, the first right. one. Uh, yeah. You can get the the, un, the the DVD of that. There's an entire subplot in there about Rose McGowan. There are characters that didn't show up. And the way he shoots things, there are scenes where, like, uh, in the movie, a really important character shoots another really important character dead, and it's a major plot-turning moment. And apparently there's three or four different other cuts of the film that different people were shooting and getting shot and could be turned into whole other things that... That tends to be his uh, his way of doing things. It's probably not that extreme, but this yeah. is going to be an unusual production. I mean, they've already done that effectively. With uh, um, it feels like Batman v Superman got rejigged repeatedly, and definitely Suicide Squad did. Yeah. Uh, historically speaking, they changed direction on Suicide Squad. It, it might be great. Let's keep that to a minimum though, because yeah. we're m- but moving forwards. I have hope that Justice League will be great. But Lucy Davis probably won't be in it, and that's a damn shame because she is brilliant in Wonder Woman. She, uh, was it uh, Etty? Yeah, yeah. Um, she uh, she was uh, you know, super charming every single second she was on, on on screen. Very offhand way, but I'm not opposed to a bit of fisticuffs. Just like, she's the, the female Simon Pegg, basically. Yeah. Or that seems awful to the sort of like she she was making me laugh. Actually, before Simon Pegg, now that I think about it, because I think I saw uh, The Office before Spaced. Yeah, okay. But yeah, Lucy Davis, fantastic. So I'm there you go, that. he's the male Lucy Davis. Yes, he is the male Lucy Davis. The trying on clothes scene, I particularly liked the whole... Um... <laughs> oh yes, spectacles, because then you won't think she's the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. <laughs> Thank you. There were so many like little nods and lines that it was just like, let's just be real here, which I, I love. The, the script was remarkably elegant in that, in that fashion. There were... If, I've just been... More recently, I've been re-editing bad, troublesome films to see if there's something good under there. I did the whole of Bad Boys 2, cut out like 40 minutes of really questionable, problematic shit. And it's a fairly tight police drama under there, if you take out the stuff where they're trying so hard to be funny at the expense of homosexuals or different ethnicities or women. There's There wasn't a single moment in Wonder Woman that I was like, oh, I'd lose that. Because that, that's not how I'm thinking now with my editing knife. But um, I know what you mean. There were, there were a few points where I kind of felt this is dragging a little bit, but then when I looked back on what mm. had immediately just happened, I couldn't think of anything that I could have. Taken that doesn't out. mean that it's a perfect film. No. But like, no. yeah, there are times when, like, in in good movies, something will stick out, and I'm like, that's not fantastic. The bit in uh, Age of Ultron, where um, uh, obviously Robert uh, Downey Jr. has been. Uh, improvising at various lines when he's about to pick up Thor's hammer. And he says in the trailer, uh, I'll be firm but fairly cruel regarding ruling Asgard. In the final film, he says, I will be reinstating Prima Nocta. And I'm like, 
Oh. Mm. Oh, that's an awful thing to say. Why jumps? Why did you get him that in the final cut? Don't um, you just love unnecessary things that just don't need to be in films? Mm, They're the exactly. best. That's what I'm talking about, Laura. The the idea that like when I'm watching a film, and it's like that would be great, except for that one line. There wasn't that one line in 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 terms of script or in terms of just like moments in um, Wonder Woman. There was no bit where someone went to like grab her great big boobies or something like that. <laughs> Odd, uh, completely at odds with the rest of the film. Exactly, but the fact that it would have felt at odds would have made it really stand out as a wrong bit. The ice cream scene I absolutely loved. Uh, that oh, was actually, yeah. I believe, sort of adapted from the uh, Jeff Johns Justice League New Fifty Two, like number one or two, or like where Wonder Woman turns up, speaks to a little girl in the park. And um, then discovers ice cream. Discovers ice cream in the comic. She turns to the ice cream vendor and goes, "You should be proud." In the animated movie, she points her sword like in his face and goes, "You should be proud of this." And it's like, look, <laughs> I understand she doesn't get Earth culture, but she gets warrior culture. You don't poke your, your business end of your sword that close to someone's eye unless you're spoiling for a rumble. That's <laughs> like, hold it in, guys. But the fact that just Diana there is has no sword at all and just goes, you should be proud of this ice cream. And just that, that child, like, mm, it's wonderful. Just lovely moment. Yeah. And speaking of little girls, Lyra loved this film. She totally did. She was just wrapped attention the whole way through. Mm. I can't remember a single thing that she like, um, like fidgeted during. Well, that, that's I, I kept thinking because it's long. Yes, yeah. this is not a short movie, and she is still working on her um, her attention span and her ability to focus through through fairly lengthy movies. And I, I was kind of sitting there thinking, is she going to fidget through this? But is she mm. not going to be paying attention? Every time I looked at her, she was literally on the edge of her seat, leaning forward. Mm. Just couldn't get enough of it. I love how you said at the end of your review, Bob, it, it's great, bring the family, because, or bring the kids. Yeah. Because, honestly, the kids, I, little girls I am hoping, are going to be as affected by this as kids everywhere were in 1978, when Christopher Reeve finally flew. Yeah. I, I want to believe that little girls specifically will feel like, yes, yes. At last, mm. someone like me. It's it's worth noting actually the the morning before um, we went to see the movie in the afternoon. In the morning, I took Lyra to um, there's a, a museum near us, and they occasionally do craft events and things for kids. And they were having a a, a, a classic superhero art and craft day. They basically supplied you with the materials, and you could go and make. Captain America shield or a, an Iron Man mask or, or various other bits and pieces and they had um, they had templates for uh, Wonder Woman tiara and gauntlets and um, to, to make a, a Wonder Woman shield and, and other bits and pieces and we went in there and there were just like maybe half a dozen little girls who'd made themselves Wonder Woman stuff and were running around in the playground outside wearing Wonder Woman crowns and gauntlets and, and just you know imitating knocking bells out of each other and it was just it was brilliant it was fantastic to watch it was really lovely i will add give patty jenkins the she-ra movie we probably need that before he-man frankly at this point <laughs> um but that's that's the thing we we need uh what the point you were making earlier uh laura they need we need to be in a climate where they can make bad 
female superhero movie after bad female superhero movie and no one even considers maybe we should do- stop doing yep. action films starring girls we, we that, need, this needs to be the tip yeah. of the iceberg it, it, this needs to be the starting point that leads us to the eventual point of you can have two or three bad critically poorly received hundred million dollar plus budget female-led superhero movies Mm. And that we don't start getting the hot takes of, oh, is this the death of the female big budget budget blockbuster superhero <laughs> movie? It's like, no, we need to be able to have successes and failures and not have the entire fate of a genre rest upon it. Mm. Absolutely. Also, I was, I think one of the things that bowled me over the most and I didn't expect at all. The really good performance from Ewan Bremner. I've never particularly liked seeing him on screen. In fact, often I just go, oh, Ewan Bremner. He's shell-shocked. He's got PTSD, and they're tactful about it, but they don't make any bones about the fact that war is genuinely nightmarish and horrific. They, mm-hmm. I, I was worried that it would be, yay, Wonder Woman's here. Now we can win the First World War. But she's a fighter amongst fighters. She's not the one doing it. This uh, soldier you know. that doesn't want to he, he doesn't want to acknowledge that he stopped being a good soldier. Yeah. But the reality is, yeah, he's great. He's great at shooting people because, as a sniper, he's able to not have to think about it. Yeah. But sometimes you 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 stop and think about the fact you're having to kill someone, and that can be a thing that, as it did for him, just he couldn't deal with in that moment and. It was never made a big thing. It was just, that is what it is. War is hard. Mm. Mm. More films where it is acceptable for men to admit that they have weaknesses, that Mm. they have fears. No one criticizes him for that. No one makes a big deal of it. It's just, nope, we'll find another way. Mm. We're not going to force you to take the shot. Absolutely. And when she says, you know, when he's, he's all ready to walk away and leave them and she says, well, who's going to sing for us? The, you know, the idea that there are other things you can do that are supportive and, and worthwhile. And, and, you know, just because you can't do the thing that you thought you were mm. meant to do doesn't mean that's it. Mm. So, yeah, excellent job all round for absolutely everybody involved. If we've missed someone or something out. Um, oh, uh Rupert Gregson Williams, I think the uh, the score. Mm-hmm. Uh, hold on, yeah, um, oh. brother of Harry Gregson Williams. Wonderful job. He took the uh, Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL, which, if you listen to it in the original um, Batman v Superman track, it sort of it does that bit of cacophony, and then it's just like drums going ding 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 ding, and it doesn't really go anywhere. I was like, what, he's going to have to like go back to the beginning and start a whole new track. Somehow, he wove into like the Wonder Woman score, and it's it's got delicacy in there, and then that theme does come back, but it's literally called Wonder Woman's Wrath. <laughs> 
that's for when she's furious. And that's when Lyra tapped me and said, like, that's one of the few things she actually said. She went, I know that the song is normally annoying, but it's right here. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not annoying. It's just that, like, it's such a sort of, a, like, when she turns up in BVS and it's like, and she's like, sort of, like, I'm Wally Woman, I'm bucking the machine guns. And it's, it's a badass moment, <laughs> but it's had no build up at all. <laughs> And hence your um, hypothesis that she was supposed to be a secret and a surprise. Mm. That mm. actually, that your use of the term badass there, one thing I really appreciated was she comes across not as badass, but as capable. Yeah. Mm. I got pretty badass, but capable works too. <laughs> <laughs> and I say again folks go back to and this is again not me just ragging on Batman v Superman open up two windows on uh, Google Images just uh, type in Wonder Woman Batman v Superman and then Wonder Woman 2017 on the other window and just compare this sort of dark brown armor with this beautiful red blue and uh, goldy bronze armor and um, I, I think we may, in fact, be out of that phase, even even with the very Snyderish Justice League. We we may be in you know in in stepping into a brighter future. And yeah, couldn't be happier right now. Um, very happy that uh, there are a lot of people at DC who now seem to be sort of you know steering the ship in what might, in fact, be the right direction for a while. If that makes sense. Here's hoping. Okay. Yeah. Bob, where can people find your work and can you recommend something you're very proud of that you've done recently? Something that you're just like, you know what, if I want anyone to see or even hear, actually, if you want to promote the podcast, uh, something that I just really, really like and, and would like to get out there, say so here. Uh, well, you can find me at uh, every week at uh, geek.com, where I am the uh, the weekly on-staff uh, film critic. You can find uh, my other uh, weekly shows and series on uh, YouTube at uh, MovieBob on uh, YouTube, where I do uh, Really That Good, uh, In Bob We Trust, and uh, Game Overthinker. Um, you know, recently, the, the most recent Really That Good was about The Matrix. Uh, mm-hmm. I would appreciate you watch that one just because it took like six months and runs a little over an hour. And uh, so uh, ju- justify the amount of uh, work and sleeplessness that went into that uh, that that behemoth. Uh, my brother and I now have a uh, an intermittent podcast called the Chipman Brothers Tangent, which uh, you can find on Libsyn. I believe it is on iTunes and other uh, services. Uh, you can uh, find that Chipman Brothers uh tangent uh, on a Google search would uh, should come right up. You can find all of my material on uh, moviebobcentral.com, uh, which is my uh, the, the website where you can find all of my stuff. Visit the store. I didn't even know you had a store. i got to get some stuff. Okay, um, and I, I, yeah, seconded on the Matrix thing. Um, watching that, I was like, right, okay, so that's everything we were going to say in our Matrix 1 show. Uh, oh, where do we go from here? Um... <laughs> uh, <laughs> So uh, yeah, no, that that was that was fantastic, and uh, I almost wish you did really that good about films that we're never ever going to do, like um, uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. Like you totally opened my eyes on that film, um, because you're a tough act to follow, sir. Well, thank you. 
And Laura, same question. Where can people find you and uh, what recent work are you... Are you going to have to narrow this one down because you're just the most hardworking person on the internet uh, that you're particularly proud of that if you could have everyone see it or hear it, it would be that. Okay, so me and the stuff I do on the internet. You can find me at most places at Laura K. Buzz. Laura K. Buzz on Twitter, YouTube, LauraKBuzz.com. Laura K. Buzz, if there's a service, I'm probably Laura K. Buzz on it. Other than that, you can find most of my gaming coverage is on Let's Play Video Games. I do a host of podcasts and things across the internet. Uh, summary of some of them, I'm on Podquisition, which is a video game podcast that's a little bit vulgar once a week. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I, am on, <laughs> I am on Dice Funk, which is a uh, weekly real play Dungeons and Dragons podcast where I play a tiefling bard, which is quite fun. Um, I am on uh, the Crystal Clodcast, which is a Steven Universe podcast where we're going through uh, the entire show from episode one, five episodes a week, talking about them with the knowledge of what happens later in the show. Uh, specific things I've done recently, I would suggest people to go look at. Um, I helped write an episode of PBS Idea Channel recently um, called What's the Deal with Fidget Spinners, where we talked about some of the 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 warring conflict going on between the the popularization of fidget spinners as a trendy toy for kids in general at the moment and how they're risking getting banned the pros and cons of their of their popularization for kids with ADHD and autistic spectrum conditions and basically the pros and cons of this fadization of something that's quite a useful mental health aid so I'd say go it's look. It's kind of at... like if all the kids were uh, riding around in electric wheelchairs and then they got banned, oh, including everyone who genuinely needs electric yeah, wheelchairs. Yeah, the banning is one issue, but there's also stuff like um, like there is the positive of them becoming a fad means that they are suddenly more cheaply produced and more readily accessible in more places, which makes them accessible for people who need them at a low budget. And but, more culturally acceptable. Yeah, they're more oh, culturally well, that's fine. They're more but, culturally accessible currently, but if the fad yeah. dies, does that lead to children who need them for mental health reasons getting mm. ostracized for continuing to use the thing that's no longer cool? There's, Thus there's, compounding an already large problem. Yeah. So that's like the basic thing. Go look at PBS Idea Channel, What's the Deal with Fidget Spinners? Super proud of how that turned out. So that that was a recent thing I helped work on that was turned out really nicely. It was excellent. Thank you for doing that one, Laura. And uh, actually, folks, also watch everything else PBS Idea Channel have ever oh, done. Oh, they do such They're brilliant. Good. They're so often on point. Yeah. I, I, one of my dreams is to get Mike onto uh, the show. I'd love having him on. Yeah. Um, okay. School of Movies is kept in a state of flourishing life thanks to our patrons who water us with dollars and feedback and enthusiasm every month. Thank you to all of these supporters, and in particular to these special supporters. Dan Mayer, Stephen Lowe, Pascal Dooley, Jameis Enright, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Timothy Green, Mont Luce, David Garcia-Abril, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisham. Thank you guys so, so much. You are our bread and butter. And we will be back next week with a very different movie starring Daniel Radcliffe and Paul Dano, Swiss Army Man. It's a commission show. We'd never seen it before. We didn't know we were going to do it. Now we're going to do it and enjoy, folks. <laughs> it's not going to be the same as the Wonder Woman review. We can tell you that right now. Thank you so, so much. Bob Chipman. Oh, thank you. 
It has been wonderful having you back and uh, hoping to get you back on for Justice League because I'm fairly certain we'll have something to say about that one too. Yes, and thank you very much to Laura Kaydale. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Hoping to get you back on to talk about, frankly, anything because it's always great to have you talking about, it, about stuff. I will always come on and talk about stuff. Stuff is my bread and butter. <laughs> Okay, um, so this month we've done bonus review podcasts on King Arthur, Alien Covenant, Pirates of the Caribbean 5, and this week we're doing M. Night Shyamalan's Split. These are bonus podcasts, they're, what, nearly an hour each? And these are exclusively for those who support us for five bucks or more on Patreon. Join that tier, you can get access to a whole swathe of content that you're otherwise missing. And on our YouTube channel, you must not miss my video on how I edited sections from X-Men 1, X-Men 2, X-Men 3, X-Men Origins Wolverine, and The Wolverine, all into one black and white two and a half hour film that serves as a prequel to Logan, and is actually surprisingly pretty good. Look for Fixing the Wolverine Movies on School of Movies on YouTube. I have been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's Out.
can't change it. You can't change, can't change it. Just cause I predicted this doesn't make it any easier to live with. What's the point of knowing it if you can't change it? You can't change, can't change it.